Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right, everybody. I am here in Miami. We have Phil Hellmuth, the one and only. He is in, I believe, somewhere in California area, the Bay Area. So, uh, Phil, welcome. How's it going? Yeah, Northern California, baby. It's I got to tell you, it's a beautiful right now outside. Nice time. Of, it's nice time to be home. We just saw each other in Rio. I know. I think last year we did uh, as well at the Hard Rock. You were here for WPT. We caught up. It had been a while since we saw each other. Rio was a lot of fun. I know you made a final table uh, in a side event. We, we had a good time. We caught up and and found out that we're in five businesses now together, which is exciting. Phil, we're in the right. We 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 it's have a right. Crazy. Yeah. How old are you, Jeff? I am uh, thirty-two currently yeah you're way ahead of the curve it's really weird it's really weird i told i can't make this up uh, i told my wife i said honey i'm starting to hang out with some uh, 32 year olds it's so weird i said that to her like two months ago <laughs> and then i met this guy because i met this guy who started the uh the rx bar okay and he made 244 million dollars from it 32 and then i ran into scott ball who you and i both invested with yes who's 32 it's just amazing it's just kind of weird but and then I, you can't make this stuff up and then i asked you for some business de- business flow and what you're doing deal flow and then all of a sudden I'm on the board of Lasso, L-A-S-S-O socks. Yep. James Harden wears those socks. They are 75% better at not rolling your ankle. I just joined their advisory board, thanks to you, and invested a bunch of money. I love it. This is going to be huge. We're talking to some other really huge athletes about investing in Lasso. And uh, I feel like I'm in this business vortex it, is what I'm a, calling it. It's and an you're energy, with me, man. but you're too young. It's an energy. How, Phil, you're, you are, so you're, okay. Those of you that don't, let's just, let's just do this right. Like I assume, cause so I did a, when I said I want to do a podcast, it's not Jeff Gross Poker Podcast. It's Jeff Gross Podcast because I don't, I love poker. It's been amazing but i want to you know i don't want to be uh pigeonholed in one category but those of you that don't know phil i'll assume many of you do uh phil helmuth the all-time most winning tournament player bracelets wsop bracelets 15 and those of you that may think oh it's a lot of them from a long time ago i mean phil you got you captured one was it, it was last summer or two summers ago you won the 5k turbo which which one was it i won one like i won one in july like one of the last tournaments we held at the world series of poker it's 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 unreal man so tell me tell us a little bit about yourself for those that don't know we'll dive into the business stuff later there's a lot of exciting stuff that we're we're uh engaging in in a part of but why don't you tell tell us a little bit you know yeah i'm sure you've done this a thousand times but give us a little bit how did you get into poker initially give me kind of like the rundown of of how what you know you what how old were you what age were you when you dabbled in it for the first time and when did you know you were gonna this was gonna be your profession not a hobby when did you know this was I was your- like 19 or 20 I was going to the University of Wisconsin and uh and I remember one night just straying over to a facility called the surf s-e-r-f southeastern recreational facility I'm playing hoops with this guy and I'm like 20. And the weird thing about life is you gain perspective. But when I was 20, I was playing with this guy that was like 38. 
I just thought he was old. <laughs> right. When you're 20, someone who's 38 or 40 seems really old, right? <laughs> and uh, But he was great. We were passing back and forth, zip, 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 zip. He understood basketball. I understood basketball. And we had some guys on the court that didn't. So we were kind of just like playing the two-man game, zip, 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 scoring hoops. And afterwards, he's like, I'm going to go play poker. And I was so naive. My dad had come home every day for dinner for like – 20 years straight. And I'm like, wow, he's not going to come home from dinner. Number was my number one thought. My number two thought is, um, Hey, he's, uh, he's going to go play poker. That's cool. I'm like, Oh, where's the game? So I went to this game. They were playing something called pineapple, which of course is Texas Hold'em. We start with three cards and it was a, like someone anted like literally 25 cents, no blinds. And uh, that's how I started at the at the Memorial Union, which is a very famous place on the campus of the University of Wisconsin. Way back when I had to be 20 years old. So we're talking about 1984. And uh, the game just made sense to me. And uh, it wasn't straight up, though. I remember there was a guy named Thule Harami that ran the game. Uh, we lost Thule, you know, 10 years ago. But Thule Harami ran the game. And one time... Uh, for a hundred dollar loan, he asked me for my driver's license. I gave it to him. I didn't see that driver's license for three to six months. Right. I lost all my money, had to drop out of school. And when I say all my money, I'd won about $400 in the game, paid off my, my, you know, paid my tuition and then lost back like 300 or 400. So it was actually kind of even in the game, but I was broke. I dropped out. My dad's like, you need to learn a hard lesson you know, go get a job. And, you know, and so I did, I was working in the fields, Blaine fields, you know, detasseling corn for a couple of months. What? For how, for when yeah. was this? What year was this? I was like 20. I mean, it was 1984 right. and my paychecks were getting, were like two or $300. And then I started, you know, and by then I kind of understood what two or $300 actually meant something versus, you know, crazy poker. And uh, and I started playing poker and I called Thule Harami up and I said, you have my driver's license? He said, you have my money? <laughs> I said, yes, I have your hundred freaking dollars. <laughs> and so I went over to play and they were thrilled because every game needs new blood. And then I just started crushing and crushing and crushing. And within within about nine months, I was better. I was a better player than Thule, who was running the game and introduced the game. And so I passed him. And I moved up to the bigger game. We called it the doctor's game. No one in that game was under the age of 40. It was doctors, lawyers, professors, and 20-year-old PH. It's like it's, it's a scene and, out of Rounders, man. It sounds like you're describing the opening scene of Rounders there. That's, that's, a, yeah. that's crazy. That must, I mean, all right, so you get in there, you do well in the games. When do you take your first shot at Vegas? When do you, when do you step out of the East Coast? Or I guess not even the East Coast. I mean, you're in Wisconsin, Madison, right? You're in Wisconsin, Midwest. You, then when, what, when do you actually make that trip, that hike to Vegas? Or, or what was your first outside experience of poker what got you going and i can tell you when the first trip was because it's easy to isolate back you know i mean you're talking about you know 34 years ago but but i remember because i went to the first trip to vegas was 1985 when i was 21 but i didn't go on my birthday which was july instead i continued to crush the games the doctor's game in madison i remember i won 2600 in one night maybe that was the next year but i'm winning all this money and I've already paid 20, off sorry, my... 2,600 in one night. What, what was the game? What blinds were you playing? No, there wasn't no limit, right? Was it a whole no limit? Hold yeah, it was always, it was always about, we started no limit. I mean, that's, that's all I played back then. I mean, when I was 20, 21, it was no limit. Okay. When I went to Vegas, I discovered limit poker. 
But anyway, I went in uh, December. I went right around Christmas of 1985. And I'll never forget the first time I went to play poker, I was at the dunes. Well, they tore the dunes down a long time ago and, uh, and put the Bellagio there. But it was at the Dunes Hotel, and I walked in on, I'll never forget this, on New Year's Eve. Okay, that's when, I, that's when I arrived. I walked in on New Year's Eve, and I walked down to the table, and I said, do you have any seats open? And they said, well, we're playing high-low split. Well, I'd been playing a little bit of limit high-low split with my friends. Uh, that's right. Uh, it was, was the second game I was playing in. And, uh, and there was Telly Savalas. He was a huge star back then. Telly Savalas with the bald hair. Kojak is, is, you know, which you have no idea who that is. But Telly Savalas, and I'm like, is there a seat open? And they put me next, my first time in Vegas, they put me next to Telly Savalas to play poker. Wow. Okay, so you're playing there. And what was that like being in Vegas? Was it kind of, was it surreal at that age? Did you kind of, at that point, you already, you weren't having doubts. You knew you were a winning player and you were, did you feel comfortable? Was it like the major leagues versus minor leagues? I mean, because it's different. You know, you beat your home game. You really don't know what to expect. How long did it take you to get acclimated and comfortable that you could play on the world stage, not just in your local uh, doctor game? Let me just tell you something. You, You hit the nail on the head there. Basically, Vegas was filled with hometown champions. So everybody that won money in their hometown went to Vegas. So you, I mean, there were also other people that weren't hometown champions, but when you were playing every day there, you're playing against hometown champions. All these people had graduated from their games in Iowa, uh, you know, in New Jersey, from all these places. And it was kind of the best of the best that that was congregating in Vegas. So it was a great experience for me to play against people that were better than me. And to sit down next to Telly Savalas, my first night ever, sit down to a major star is almost a bit of an omen. And I remember his young wife, Telly had to be in his 60s, his young wife kept coming down and saying, they need you upstairs at the party because I think he was paid to be there. And they need you upstairs at the party. Then, Well, Telly just wanted to play poker and be left alone. That's all he wanted to do. So he just spent, you know, I mean, he had to go upstairs at midnight and, you know, but I remember that he was there probably four hours and probably spent like 45 minutes away from the table and didn't pick up his chips. He just wanted to play poker. He loved poker. And uh, the difference was um, that, you know, this is my first session ever in Vegas. And I just, I didn't quit after 12 hours. I didn't quit after 24 hours, 36, 48 hours later, because I'd never quit a game in Madison, Wisconsin. I crushed everybody. I won all the money and I never went to bed because they'd always quit first because everybody had a job, right? And so, you know, about, I remember, you know, uh, finally I went to bed like three hours before I was supposed to leave the hotel and, 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 and go stay at my friend Tuli Haramey's place. You know, the guy who had taught me the game. Okay. And so, you know, I remember um, I slept about four hours after being up 48 hours. And I remember security guard just banging on my door. They couldn't wake me up. They had to actually open my door. Wow. And Tuli and his mother were there to pick me up and they were really worried. Wow. What happened to Phil? Well, I mean, I had sleep apnea and now we know that. And, you know, I was up 48 hours and I just wasn't going to move. And so then that tired, bleary state, I went over to then spend the rest of the trip at my friend's place. And he's like, oh, by the way, they have Texas Hold'em here. I'm like, Hold'em? Okay, that's what I want to play. Yeah. Uh, but not no limit, it was limit. So I started playing limit hold'em at the Stardust. What was what was the stakes back then when you first started up? What was what kind of limit games were going on? Uh the stakes um hold on one second. 
All right, everyone, if you're just joining, this is the Phil Hellmuth. We're gonna go ahead and scroll through his hen and mob, which is you know, pretty, pretty ridiculously impressive. Getting back to 1987, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but looks like we got Phil back and we're gonna, we're gonna tackle that next, but. Yeah, we have a lot of construction going on at the house here, so a okay. ton of it actually. So no the, the outside of our house was completely changed, JG. Like I couldn't have imagined it would look this beautiful. You you did how and long so, how long of a upgrade does that take? It's always it's fun to, to up, touch up a house, but it's, it's it is an undertaking. It's disruptive. Is it has it been a, a long process or short and sweet? Yeah, my wife told me November first we'll be out of the upstairs for three months, and uh, and we're still out of the upstairs, but we're about to to go back to the upstairs. within a week. I see the floors are done upstairs. They redid the bathrooms, but the most impressive thing is the outside of the house. It's just it went from hedges on the outside to a beautiful white wall. And all the neighbors are talking about how beautiful it is. My friends are talking about how beautiful it is. It's like a white wall and Australian plants and white wall. And we have a fountain out in the front. Running water is supposed to be really lucky. We have a fountain in the back. We added a fire pit. We had a pool already. And it's just beautiful here. We're adding two more fountains. We have four fountains. If they're lucky, why not? Uh, I'm in yeah, the business. A couple more. 2019, man. Sounds like the year at Helmut. Things are going well. I know you were fired up in Rio. A lot of good energy coming. How are, are you already in World Series of Poker mode? Are you already super excited? Do you have a prediction for bracelets this summer? Any? Are you going to go easy? Are you going to go crazy? Like what? What do you find to be the recipe for success to play less tournaments or just play everything you can? Uh, I've never been a, a play everything you can guy. For about five years, I never played two tournaments at once. Then weirdly, strangely, I entered two tournaments at once, made both day twos on a Sunday, and I won a RAS, I won the RAS I came in literally either the lowest stack, I was a top three bottom stack in the seven card stud low and the RAS tournament. And I also had chips in the no limit. Um, <clears throat> I moved in on like the fourth hand with ace seven offsuit, was upset with myself. And then went over to play the RAS tournament, which started an hour later, hour and a half later. Okay. And somehow, you know, got it in a little bit weak, actually, ran it up and ended up with a bracelet on my wrist. So I still don't like to play two tournaments very often. I don't think it's a great strategy. Um, and in that way, you know, Negranu's played more tournaments in me lifetime at the World Series by far, um, even though I've been in the game 10 years longer than him, because back then, you could play, there were like 11 events, 12 events, 13 events. And a lot of times I wouldn't play them all anyway. And so now Negranu, when he played 60 events a couple of times, has passed me in tournaments played at the World Series of Poker. I don't like that system of just scattering it. Ivy does it. He plays in, I've seen him in four tournaments at once. Wow. And I've also seen him have incredible spurts where he does things that no one could even imagine. I just, I remember he had like, four final tables in a week or something. I mean, when he was hot, right. But that's just a little bit too much for me to do that. I will say this JG I'm home. I'm planning on staying home for five or six weeks straight. Nice. Um, I'll go to Negranu's wedding and then, uh, and then, um, and then I'll be in Vegas for the Rob young. I'll probably play Rob young. Our first heads up match on May 23rd on poker go. Nice. That's beautiful. I know they were talking maybe in Montreal. Are you going to make the Montreal party poker millions or, or will you or will not miss that one? I can't. I have a charity event. So I have an use wedding, then a charity event. I have to MC. And then a week later I have tiger jam. So I MC tiger woods, charity poker tournament for him. 
Nice. We'll raise at least a million dollars, and then Tiger and I will uh, will drink, smoke cigars, and play blackjack. And he brings a freaking boombox into the VIP room. That's amazing. And so we turn the boombox on. We're just listening to music, playing blackjack, smoking cigars, and drinking, and just talking about life. And so yeah. Tiger Jam's great. And then I'll also see him Saturday night. So the poker event for Tiger Jam is Friday night, ten thousand dollar buy-in. Mark Cuban's usually there. A lot of celebrities. He met Lindsey Vaughn there. Um, okay. yep. Now they're not together anymore, but they were together for like three years. Mm-hmm. And so I'm also looking forward to, to this week. I'm, I, I like watching golf. I like watching how the guys handle the pressure. And so every Sunday you see guys blow up. <clears throat> you know, they just give it away. They blow up, which I've watched my whole life in poker. To me, it's interesting to understand the reasons behind that. And, and I've worked hard to do that. Yeah, well, I want to, there's, there's a lot of questions I have there. I would say too, that golf is a great parallel to poker, even with tournament wise, how there's different days, there's cuts, there's different situations. You know, chip lead doesn't mean you win, but it gives you, it is so mental. So I, I, I do notice a lot of similarities, even in the payouts, how they pay the spots and everything. Golf is, is uh, kind of mirrors poker in a lot of ways. Um, get, I want to lead into the, the positivity book. Speaking of that, the mental aspect of that, I, I'm a big believer in positive energy and what you put out, you get back that type of stuff. Can you talk a little bit about your book positivity? I'm going to pull it up on the side here on the screen, but tell us a little bit about what that is, how you came up with that and what that book means to you. I mean, here it is. Here's positivity. Uh, the most amazing thing about positivity to me is that Tony Robbins gave me a huge jacket blurb and so did Sheryl Sandberg, huge jacket blurb. And so they believed in it, but it's a super thin book. It's basically eight life tips, hashtag positivity only at Amazon. And I'm going to sell millions of copies of the book, but here's the thing that blew me away. JG. Yeah. Tony Robbins is telling people to buy my book in his seminars. It's incredible to have the, you know, it's one thing to have him on the back of the book, which is amazing anyway, but it's truly incredible. And I almost cried when this girl said, my God, Phil, I wanted to meet you so badly because I was just in Tony Robbins seminar and he told everybody to buy your book positivity. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And, you know, I mean, two you know, I'll give you a chapter. It's eight life tips, one life tip, write down your yearly goals, 2019 goals, Tape on your bathroom mirror, one chapter done. Another chapter, write down your blessings. Health's always gonna be the top of that list. Health and family, right? Yep. And then, you know, you know, uh, for me, 15 world championships of poker and financial security for life, right? Write down your blessings, tape those to your bathroom mirror. So that's two chapters done. And there's a great chapter, Hate Hurts You, where I have a three-step process for getting rid of hate. And I'm just going to go over this quickly, the, the, the hate chapter, which I love probably the most, because basically all you do is you people who are watching this, think of the person you hate or dislike the most. Mm-hmm. Got it? Yep. That person isn't thinking about you, right? There's no thought. They're not even thinking about you. So hate only hurts you. So the first thing you do is you think of that person and you try to think, is there a reason why? They slighted me. They were an asshole to me. They were jerk to me. Try to find one reason why. All right. If you can't find that, fine. That's that's understandable. Maybe that's the reason that you hate that. Number two, try to find one good thing about that person. 
In the case of one famous poker player, the only good thing I could find is he was funny. So that's kind of sad. But is that does that person give money to charity? Is he a family man? Find one or two good things about that person. Step number three, meditate. Go to your bed. Give yourself in the middle of the day when nobody's in the house, when no one's going to knock on your door and disturb you and spend 15 minutes sending love to that person you hate. It's weird for me how when I when I did that, not only did I stop hating the person, but the next time I saw them, it's almost like they knew. Now, you could say, oh, Phil, there's too much, you know, spirituality, too much mysticism in that. Well, all right, try this on for science. You've spent 15 minutes in an unnatural position telling someone that you love them. Your mind is. Therefore, the next time you see that person you hate, maybe they notice you looked at them differently than usual. Maybe they noticed you acted differently towards them. Maybe they noticed your words towards them are different. For whatever reason, there's a shift in that relationship, right? Yes. And so you're not wasting any time, any time hating, which opens up all kinds of room for positivity. So we talked about positivity. You have your book out and it's a very simple read as in it's easy, you know, quick. How, how long would you say it takes? 70 minutes, baby. 70 minutes, positivity. I mean, come on, why not? Give it a, give it a look. So Phil, Phil wrote this book. And as he mentioned, uh, it is uh, it is a really, really great thing to have in your arsenal and, and pick that up. So, all right. So positivity, we talk about the world series exciting up, do, coming up here. Does that excite you? Is it like, is this the... Is it to a point, do you live for this? Is it your favorite thing when you look through a calendar and a schedule for the year? This is obviously kind of you're the guy. You've got the most bracelets ever, 15 World Series of poker bracelets. Is this like your Super Bowl every year? Or are you kind of like, ah, I'm enjoying home, I'm enjoying traveling, and this is kind of a grind? How, how, do, you, how do you come, has it changed over the years for you, or is it always the same in terms of how you It's always the Super Bowl. It's the World Series. I mean, I, I love it. I mean, it's, 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 everybody loves the World Series of poker. That's how, if you want to be great, you have to be measured by World Series of poker. You know, and to me, uh, I just love it and I just can't wait for it to start. Um, I think that um, I think, you know, one reason I have the bracelets that I have is the perseverance. Right now, last year I had a herniated disc. I never announced it. You saw me in the back hallways every day. You didn't even know it. Yeah, because I didn't want to tell one person. Brandon Cantu knew Mike Madison knew, but I didn't want to tell one person I have a herniated disc. You know how painful it is? I mean, just to walk from the elevator to my room, I was so bummed out half the time. So I skipped a lot of events last year. And uh, luckily, I had a little operation in August. Boom, it went perfect. The next day, I was walking perfectly. And so I was lucky with that. Um, and so this year, and I still want a bracelet. I want a bracelet with a herniated disc, so which crazy. I think is incredible. Um it and uh, I was just, uh, you know, and I still managed to do all of the commentary for ESPN. And uh, but I mean, geez, I remember when I had to leave the booth to walk to the bathroom, which is literally 75 yards. I just be like oh, every step hurt. So, you know, I mean, you know, when I think about, you know, I can't help but but go back to, you know, health being the most important thing. And so that's on the very top of my list, but also right behind that. You know, is World Series after families, World Series of poker bracelets. And that's what I focus on. And that's what matters to me. And, uh, you know, JG, you and I are pretty, pretty lucky. We have 
great parking spots. <laughs> that yeah. one year it was just you and me and Antonio with the great parking spots. I remember that they've upgraded to a bigger lot, but yes, for sure. I feel I am. I'm actually right now. I'm scrolling through, and you can't see this, but I'm just going to hockey over here on the side. We're taking a look at the career of Phil Helmut and looking at the Hendon Mob, which is a really it's a cool site, how they keep track of results over time. You go back and to relive and, and see some of the moments. I mean, we're talking, you know, I was born in 86. This is your first Hendon Mob score. Do you know when it is? Do you remember? Do you remember the first tournament you ever cashed? You must. I remember the first tournament I ever won because it was Easter Sunday, like 1988. 88 that's right pot of gold in reno 200 buy-in for 17k man that's actually looks like a fair amount of entries so the first one you won but how about let's talk about this first so reno looks like reno you were dabbling around the first tournament you got fifth it was a 1k must have been a smaller field but what got you into tournament poker i'm just going to scroll through here as kind of you tell us what you were playing cash games and then what what made you decide to dive into tournaments Tournaments were, you know, tournaments were kind of a way. I remember in 19, I remember just, I had a knack for tournaments. I just kept winning them. And I was like, I couldn't help but notice I had a skill there. And I remember watching Stu Unger win a tournament, I believe at the Riviera Casino. And I met, it was, must have been 87, 86. And he was just raising every hand and they were just folding like, like, I couldn't believe how badly they played. And I watched him and I'm like, what are they doing? No one's making a stand. You know what I mean? And they finally made a stand after a Jack nine deuce. I think it was Robert Turner, you know, chip burner Turner. <laughs> and, uh, and he just picked the wrong time. It came Jack nine deuce and Stu had a set of nines, but even that hand, Stu looked super strong to me and I would have folded. So I remember watching and going, wow, these are the world-class players. They don't even know what they're doing is what I thought. And, uh, and I just started immediately dominating in tournaments, which was great. And uh, you know, JG, when you look at my hen and mob, Starting January 1st, going to the end of 2003, I had 50 final tables. Wow. And it's just crazy. And I only play in the biggest tournaments. Yeah. And so. It's crazy to see how many seconds and thirds and fourths you have, too, because, I mean, the number's 15 World Series bracelets, but, I mean, you've. You, you, it's not, it wouldn't be crazy to have 20 or 25. I mean, that's the scary thing. I guess what's the next second place now? I lost count because I know you've separated yourself, but what is it? Somebody t- told me, somebody told me I had 11 second places, which is more than anybody even has first places. It is pretty. Mike Sexton told me I had 11 seconds. He looked it up and I had zero third places, which is really weird. So 15 firsts. 11 seconds and no thirds at the World Series of Poker. I'm scrolling weird. through. Let's see if we can catch a third. But we're, we're just kind of, I am going at through. At the World Series of Poker third, we're talking about. Yeah, WSOP third. So I um, I got to say, yeah, it's a crazy, it's a crazy, crazy, crazy uh, resume. You want to you know how much skills in poker, JG? In 2005, Johnny Chan, Doyle Brunson, and I, all right, the three of us, won five bracelets. There were like 40 events. How does that happen? Wow. It's, it's really, really we were having insane. a bracelet race at that point. He's up to eight. He's up to nine. He's up to eight. He's 10. And we just kept going. And then all of a sudden, when I won number 11, I think Shannon Brunson both just gave up. And, uh, and I just kept going. Yeah. I remember there was a three-way tie, I believe at 10 or something like that. You guys were around 10 or nine. It was, it was neck and neck and it was, it was, uh, definitely a battle, but it's the bracelet race in Oh, two, Oh, three, Oh, four, Oh, five and Oh, six and Oh, seven. They wrote about that every day at the world series of poker or every other day. And then when we get there, it was kind of crazy. 
Yeah, it's it's exciting. It's uh, I mean, it's it's amazing to see over the the poker tournament history. Not that many people have stayed in for that long or, or done well over so much time. So I mean, it's got to feel good because there are all these young new wizards and different styles of play. And you hear GTO, and you know you got your white magic, even battling with Doug Polk and Jungle Man at the heads up, you know, televised stuff and coming out on top. But you know, it's got to be. Is it fair to say your style is unique? And what would you say, I guess before we dive into the new era and the generation, how about what separates you, what allowed you to think, what separated you from back in the late 80s, early 90s, and when you you said you just kind of dominated and took over in tournaments, you mentioned that players play tight, no one was taking a stand. Were you were you like contrarian? Was it that you were more aggressive? Like what were people studying back then? There was a super system. You've written many books. What was that? What was the way of methodology of studying? Like, cause it seems like people like if you three bet preflop, it was crazy until in the two thousands. Like were you three betting a lot? Give me like stylistically what separated you or what, what were you doing differently than other players? I mean, I would use, it was very nice in that era. I could do a lot of two betting and three betting. And so three betting was super effective for me, but sometimes just two betting, just raising before the flop. You know, you sometimes would have tables back then where they just weren't making enough stands. So the blinds and annies are up. They all made it deep because they were super tight and they continued to play super tight. So I'd raise, 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 raise. I just kept folding, folding, and I'm just building blocks. I'm just accumulating chips. And then when I was at a table where I couldn't do that, where I had to sit on my hands for two or three hours, then I just sit on my hands because then you had to play super tight. And then three bets were always effective for me. Three betting I started using a long time ago, just three betting light. I just realized if someone raises and I have a great read on them, but what separates me from everybody else? What is my, what is my methodology? Completely read based. Now, if there's flaws in their math, that's fine. I was able to expose that in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands, but what really has kept me in the game is reads. So when someone, they can be trained as much as they want to, they still have to look at me when they're making weak raises and re-raises. And I don't think I've been as sharp the last three or four years, maybe because I need some, I, I need to have some kind of glasses. I'm talking about, I'm home for five weeks straight. I'm really thinking about getting the, the laser surgery because you have to see everything. You know what I mean? And, uh, and a lot of the world's never, a lot of the great young players haven't seen me at their at my best. They just know that I keep getting there. They don't understand how. But great recognizes great. So any great player in the game will tell you that I'm great and vice versa. But then there's a whole generation that's confused. You know, I baited Negranu. I love Negranu. I really do. I'm going to his wedding. But I baited him. You know, he said something about... I think I just won. I just beat Doug Polk and Jungle Man. And they said, oh, these are the two best heads up players in the world. What am I, frickin' chopped liver? So I beat both of those guys. Then I went to the bicycle club the next week and finished second in a 760-player field for my first WPT. I was heads up 11 million to 11 million. I didn't get it done, right? And then Negranu talks about um, 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 overrated at poker. And I'm like... Why did you wait until I beat the two best heads up players in the world, allegedly, and finish second in this field of 760? I thought Daniel's delusional. He hasn't won a tournament for three or four years and doesn't want the spotlight on him. So he's coming after me. But I thought, wow, I'm going to have some fun with this. I'm going to have my first little Twitter war. 
But I so I thought 10 moves in advance. I'm going to do this and this and this. And I realized if I acted fast, I'd be baiting him. So he's like, oh, you're overrated. And I'm like, okay, name 40 players that are better than me. Yeah. And I, but I came back really quickly forcing. So then he came back quickly with 40 players. And I said, about $100,000, you're 40 players. So every time they win a bracelet, I'll give you 100000 in cash. But when I win a bracelet, you give me $4 million. I offered that right away. He declined, okay, which was smart because one or two of his guys has won a bracelet, uh, maybe three now, right. but I won one. So he'd be down 3.7 million so far. And so, you know, I, and he always asked me to bet, put my money where my mouth is. And I did, wow. but he backed down, but I could already see, I was going to ask this and ask this and ask that. And so it was kind of fun. Everybody's like, Helmuth and the ground, you were having a Twitter war, but there was never any like, yeah. nastiness and that you're having fun i mean talk about that a little Tim, bit it's, uh, daniel i like daniel as well get along very well and he's uh yeah he it's good man he's a good ambassador and he it, it's fun I, wish a, I, was, I got my baby coming or else i'd be going as well gonna have to miss that wedding it looks like it'll be a good time and a, a lot of the poker community there talk about your relationship a little bit with daniel or antonio and some of these guys because you know you you're known as the poker brat you put on a good show how much of that is and these guys ultimately you're friends with. These aren't like these aren't like crazy uh, battles or wars or dislike. But you know, you guys you put on a good show and have a good time and definitely battle at the tables. And there's a lot of ego in poker. Talk about some of your relationships with some of the top pros and you know maybe how it's perceived and what it really is. Daniel loves me, and I love Daniel. It's very simple. It's very we get along great together. We're great together on live on ESPN when he makes fun of me. I mean, he does a great job making fun of me. He's like, that's my job, Phil. And he really does do a great job. And there's a lot, there's a lot to make fun of. I mean, I'm a, a little too egotistical, all the stuff that I do in public. And so, you know, but Daniel loves me. I know this already. And, you know, but, um, and he's never attacked me inappropriately. He's never come after my family, my wife, anything like that. Anything. He's only come after me as far as Phil's not a good poker player. And he's good for me. I think he's delusional, but he thinks I'm delusional. I think I'm the greatest poker player in the world in, in Texas Hold'em tournaments, especially. And he thinks that, you know, he thinks that uh, that I'm not in the top 100. So he'll say I'm delusional for thinking it, even though I keep having all this great evidence behind me. And then, you know, I think he's delusional for not recognizing that I'm top 40, at least. I mean, come on. I mean, all these guys, you have to go back, JG. You have to take it back in chunks of time. Over the last five years, there's not many players that have a better record than me in Nolan and Hold'em tournaments where we're playing in the same event. In fact, it might be nobody. That doesn't mean that Fedor Holtz isn't great. That doesn't mean that, you know, that some of these guys aren't just super talented and great players. But in the same fields that we play in, you know, um, not many people have the record over the last five years. And so I just look at, here's the record. And I think Daniel just looks at, oh, you're not studying GTO. Well, I, I studied GTO and I just discarded it. I, I think there's big flaws in GTO. Now, come, let's come to Antonio Esfandiari, who we both love, you and I. Yes. Antonio and I started Rocky, right? Antonio, but he'll admit he was a Rocky guy, you know, he... He, uh, he did some stuff back in the day that wasn't great. He he beat Phil Ivey in a big pot to bust him out of an LAPC. And then <clears throat> Ivey, who never says a word to anybody, Antonio said, don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out of the room. Wow. And the I whole table looked over. Word. We all looked over at Antonio. I wasn't there. But that, that spread through the poker world quickly. He was also, you know, a little bit rude to me. 
uh, in some at, at a World Poker Tour event and some other events. And so we started off on the wrong foot. And then all of a sudden we realized that we really like each other. And so, you know, when he had his 40th birthday party, which was, was that earlier this year or late last and, year? And the, or December like 10th, right around there. I remember, yeah, that was, that was fun. Yep. And I flew in for his 40th birthday party, of course. And so he and I are going to make TV shows together. I think he and I are a great combination when we film together. We love to film together, whether it's on television or in the booth. And so, you know, Antonio's great and he's just a really fun loving guy. He's laughing all the time. And so, you know, all right, maybe he started Rocky. And there are a lot of people that say I'm a little Rocky too with my poker brat, you know, but the fact is Antonio and I get along great. Daniel and I get along great. And I get along with almost every great player in poker extraordinarily well from Phil Ivey to everybody, to Rainier Kempe, to all these guys. I'll laugh and joke with them. I'll drink with them. I'll have fun with them. Right. The younger generation I really like. And so people sometimes are like, oh, wait, Phil's against the younger generation. And I'm not against the younger generation. I don't like GTO. I don't think it's effective. And I think it's starting to exit JTO's GTO yeah, starting no, no, to I, leave. I think on the GTO side as well, it's important to know what it is or understand fundamentally how that works. But the reality is like a lot of times playing in a live tournament or a live cash game, GTO is maybe not the best play. Being able to exploit, being able to make reads and in-game adjustments is important. Because if another guy doesn't know what GTO is, and you're just trying to play GTO against them, you can get tripped up. So you know, I think you've demonstrated your success in large fields, um, just in all fields, but large fields and knowing how to, to maneuver those. So you can argue however you want, but results, it's hard to result, uh, argue with the results over what? I mean, we're talking over- Listen, JG, years. you know, I played in four, uh, I played in four of the, uh, four of the, what's the one at the, the one drops. I played in four one drops, yep. okay? I'm the only guy that has three top tens. And I missed that final table by that much. I think I finished 10th or, and the final table was nine, the year that Doug Pope won. Doug Pope was all in, he had Queens, uh, Rainier had ace nine. And, uh, you know, if an ace comes, I'm at that final table. So instead of saying, hey, I played in four of these and I'm the only guy that has three final tables, my brag has to be I'm the only guy with three top tens. So and I only played in four. Everybody else played in six or seven. So, I mean, I get there in the in the high rollers as well. I just I just don't think sometimes that they're good investments for me. The return on investment isn't good enough. I don't care. You know, uh, I'm not going to play a million dollar buy-in with 24 players. That's insane to me. It's whisking too much money. Can I raise a million like that from my friends? Yeah. Would I put up like 70,000 of that money or a hundred thousand? Sure. But it's just not enough value. For sure. I agree with that. I got to, I got to stat check that with Antonio. I know he won the one drop. He got third, I believe in a hundred K one drop he's played more than what you said you've played only four but i know he he got he had some good results in that as well he's he's had a sick one drop well, resume you can but, look it up but i think he had a 12th yep you're right no but you the resident listen you, there's no one's going to say you can't mix it up and, and tangle but i agree with that too it's not just an ego thing you could sell whatever to whoever at any tournament play but you want to play with your own money you want to play in spots that you enjoy and that you feel are plus ev and you don't just need to play every single high roller in the world whether you're one of the you know the best or one of the best currently it's like why do you want to play with the, the other 20 best players in the world necessarily that, that doesn't make and a lot of sense those guys are taking my records away most money won all right it's bullshit they have 10 percent of themselves i mean 
they're getting staked half. Most of the guys are getting staked and, and, you know, so they're on a 50% free roll. Then they trade 10% with three other guys. I mean, you look at the number of the people that are playing in these things that only have 10% of themselves. It's scary. And because of that, now there are 30 guys travel around the world and playing 50 of these high rollers, right? Yeah. And they trade money back and forth and they move up the all-time money list and invalidate my records when they have small pieces themselves. Yeah, I will say. I don't I like that. There was a period of time. It must have been 13, 14. You know, I was playing some of that alpha eights i had i that actually happened where i was three-handed in a, the first ever alpha eight and we were in the money and one of the players he wouldn't chop because he had 10 percent. and he was like well because we were going to make a deal it was a lot of money and it was pretty even stacks and everyone we had respect for each other but the guy one of the guys was like hey you know i only have 10 percent, and i can't really like do it like make the deal with everyone but it was just kind of like one of those things where you realize that is happening a lot and especially at the aria which carrie katz done an amazing job poker go incredible but you know there's these 25ks 50ks rolling all the time there if you live in vegas and you see these these numbers they're, they're hitting 400 500k scores two three times a week it just gets the it kind of inflates that that record book stat in a lot of the ways. So, you know, good or bad for poker, it definitely, I agree with that. And there, there needs to be a little better way of, of record keeping or, or just to keep that more pure, but I don't really know an answer for that. I think it's good for poker. And you brought up the name Kerry Katz, who is the, the person poker that I respect the absolute most in the poker world. Okay. All right. Um, I, I love Kerry and I was at the poker awards on Friday night and, uh, you know, and probably I'm supposed to mingle around the room a little bit, but there was Carrie on my left and Maury on my right. And I was just so happy. I sat there for two hours and talked to those guys. Yeah, that's a nice. And sentence. I think Carrie, Carrie can be a little shy. He probably would have left if, you know, if I wasn't standing there talking to him, he probably would have left anybody that came by. Of course, I'm going to say hello and smile at. And it's good to see so many people from the poker world for sure. But it was kind of, uh, you know, compelling to, to, you know, carry such an amazing guy and uh, and what he's done for poker. He's poker's savior, but he's a genius. Absolutely. He is a genius. Yeah, I mean, this is the guy. The reason poker's on ESPN for 14 days straight, the main event is Kerry Katz. The reason that people can, that's why everybody should be supporting Poker Go. It's $10 a month. Absolutely. But Kerry put $25 million of his own money into making poker go work and you know it's a long road and it hasn't been easy we have maybe 50,000 subscribers gets to be 120,000 during the series and uh, but everybody watching this should support poker go it's amazing what Kerry's done and continues to do and on top of all that he happens to be leading the high roller in points he happens to be a great player on top of it all and he almost won a bracelet last year did you notice that he finished second in the field of like 3,000 people? Yeah, I believe it was to motion or maybe that was another one, but he got, I know, I, listen, I've looked at his head and mob. It's crazy impressive. I mean, he, he really, he sneakily, he just hits big scores. I mean, a lot of those are Aria 25Ks and such, but he's battling with the best and he, he gets a ridiculous amount of uh, results. So, you know, there's no question he knows what he's doing. Um, Phil, at some point, I am going to want to dive on to, Twitter, because we have a uh, party poker here. Let me flash over very graciously, giving away two 109 tickets for the 
PowerFest to retweet the podcast that's live now and ask a question. So and we could spend we're almost two podcasts alone at some of these questions. I'm going to scroll through, pick some of these. I do want to cover a few more things. Uh, we did mention earlier some investments we're in. We got the Lasso Athletic up here, which uh, kind of has been, we both got into recently, but it's pretty fun, um, as well as Travel Smarter. I think, you know, I saw you, I saw you getting some, it was kind of funny, some people were responding in a way where they were kind of skeptical or, or you know, being negative about it. But, you know, I think you and I both, we've, we've done our research, dived in, and really, I mean, I, I'm probably the most excited between Lasso and this at what we have going on right now. It's pretty cool. So, you know, it's just fun to be involved in investments and be able to, to do some cool stuff. And for you and I, I mean, we travel a lot. So I don't want to make this an advertisement stream, but truthfully, we both are investing in this company and I believe a lot in it. And, you know, I don't well, want to travel smarter. I mean, come on, you can, you can talk about that for a sec because everybody's going to benefit. It's a $10 a month subscription site, travelsmarter.com. It's uh, listen, the reason you put a bunch of money into it and I put a bunch of money into it is because it's a win win. It's going to also it's also doing good for the world. We're going to save so much money. All of a sudden you have hotels direct to consumers. The hotels themselves list a travel smarter. Their best prices. And somebody said, oh, well, I compared some prices between that and another site and there was no difference between them. That will happen 10 or 20 percent of the time. Sure. But if you want the best possible prices, the hotels themselves, no middlemen, middlemen are gone. You pay $10 a month and it's not just hotels. It's also airfare. And it's also like amazing trips. Like if you want to go on like a canoe ride or whatever, I so mean, I got, some of these, like, I agree. And I got to rub it in here. Cause earth picks it's by earth picks on Instagram. Who's Eric Damier and, and uh, MySpace Tom actually, who the, they, they're the two behind um, earth picks. You can see it clearly there when you go there and see who they're, they're following on there. Um, the Maldives trip. I want to rub this in because in 2012, you and I, they just did a thing. They, they have this brand new room that is $50,000 a night and it's underwater hotel room. Uh, it's pretty, pretty unbelievable. I just got to rub it in, Phil, because you came to London in 2012 for the Olympics. I think you had a family engagement or something. But after the Olympics, when we went and watched Mike swim, we went Antonio, Phil Locke, who else? Dave Silverman, a couple other guys. You know, we flew from there to the Maldives. And I know you had to go home and you missed that. But you did come and see the Olympics. And this was a special trip. And I know Eric Damier just did this, the rollout for that hotel we were at, the Conrad Maldives. They had the underwater uh, restaurant at the time, but now they have the underwater hotel sweet so anyway just want to rub that in and that was one of their featured trips but you know that was that by was the way big... jg i made i've made some mistakes like uh, like uh, like uh, like with friendships made some mistakes so you and i went to london for the olympics great time we caught the opening ceremony we watched mike swim a bunch of races it was awesome but for me it was like okay i got to get back to my family i got to get back to my family and so i went over there for what five six seven days and I made a mistake because you told me, listen, Phil, stay another three days. And we were renting a boat on the River Thames, yeah. you know, and, and Mike and I and a bunch of us are going to party and have just a couple of good nights. And I thought, ah, you know what, to me, the partying isn't that big a deal. But I should have I should have found a way to stay. Remember, you and I also watched Team USA play basketball that trip. Well, Phil, I got to I got to give you a big thank you. Did You got me a ticket to the opening ceremonies. That was a very, very great seats and very generous to you. So I appreciate that. And I definitely don't. What a that. ceremony. I mean, we had to do that, right? It was sick. I was sick. I bet I've been to three Olympics. That was my only opening ceremonies. And it was it was definitely a special one. So that's a memory. And then I went to hang out with Mike. OK, in 2016, I went to his house to hang out with him for three or four days. 
we, we you know and i'll never forget this i watched his workout right and oh my god he yeah. just went and went and went it was like I mean, he lifted weights for like three or four hours. He swam for like three hours. But I wanted to be there for the full experience to see what the workout looked like. So that's what I did. I was staying at his house with his wife, who was, uh, I believe, pregnant at the time. Yeah, he's got his third on the way right now. Just announced. He told me a little while ago, it's crazy, man. Just, you know, living with them for seven years and being there with Nicole and then seeing them get engaged, married and the kids. It's just it happens so fast, man. But th three kids is uh, that's a handful. You know about that. So, yeah, for sure. They got, they got it was interesting. It was interesting. You know what happened that was interesting, JG, is that now we're in this position where uh, where Mike's ready to play poker. And he says, Phil, all right, set the game up for whatever, five, but I'm going to be leaving by like seven. Right. I told the guys, hey, we're going to have this game. He's going to leave by seven. And he left by seven, all right, 7 a.m. And I got to tell you something. This was the day before a playoff game. Uh, it was a Saturday night we were playing. And, um, and <laughs> I remember looking over at him at like four in the morning and I'm like, do I need to pull him out? Because, and he was laughing and straddling and joking and just having the best time. Yeah. And he was just smiling all night, talking shit, just having a great time. And I'm like, ah, oh, this has got to be healthy for him. He needs this. I'll tell you what. And I so I didn't pull him out. I didn't say a word. I said, Hey, are you sure you want to be here? I told him at 5 a.m. And, uh, you know, maybe we left at six, but I mean, it was, it yeah. was just, uh, I mean, just I got to look you, over so, him. You know, it's cool, Phil. I think one of the coolest things about what we do in playing poker, getting to see the world, all of that is awesome. But the friendships, the people, I mean, I met Mike at a poker table in Windsor, Canada. I was living in Ann Arbor. He went to the University of Michigan. This was 2006 in the summer. Uh, a lot of my other closest friendships are either directly from poker or indirectly from someone who played poker or they, you know, I met them so along the way. So I think that's, you know, it's a huge thing too. People, you know, poker has negative connotations in some ways, but the, a lot of the game is social. It's the mental challenge. You know, of course, if you're, there's, there's times where we've all played longer sessions in our probably normal or that you would that are the best to do but sometimes you just need to disconnect and dive in and get immersed and and have a good time and let loose so yeah i mean it's like you know teach yeah. own and it's important to to have that and be able to, to mike wasn't in. drinking he wasn't partying yeah. no, nothing he didn't have one drink but he was just laughing at yeah that. i mean listen and mike I'm, loves poker no doubt about it and i think that's something yeah. we can all relate to competitively you know some at different levels than others but to have that game it's where you know phil you're not going to get in the pool and swim a lap with mike and beat him but he could beat you in any hand or you know, beat some of the other top players. And that's what's so fun about poker is you can really have a, a relatively equal playing field or on any, any given day, anyone can, can, can match up and get the job. But JG, one of the reasons why I went to visit Mike is I always wanted to get that done and make it to his house. And it took us a while to come up with a date where I could do that was I wanted to go to Rio. And then, and then with the Ziva, the Z, whatever it was, Zika. the Ziva virus, the key, whatever the heck it was, I found kind of an excuse not to go. And I also thought, all right, I got to see him in London. Yep. So, but that's another one I probably should have gone to. I mean, yeah, it would have been so much fun. I would have been know, with man. you. Listen, Mike said he's definitely done, but I, there, it's not zero, like not for the next one, but I can see Mike coming back and I'm, I don't want to speculate anything. I'm just saying knowing Mike and what a competitor and champion he is. And I could, I don't think it's 0% that you don't see Mike at an Olympics sometime. I'm just saying that's, it's not, I wouldn't be like, if someone said Mike's coming back to 2024, I think it's even in LA. So it's in the backyard or the next one. Like he's that kind of guy that could, could really turn it on and get fired up or just be like, you know, I don't want to be sitting here. I, I really want to do it. He's, I mean, he's 33 years old. That's older on the swimming 
totem pole, but the, you look at Dara Torres in Beijing, she was what, 30, 42 even? Uh, some guy in the, Crazy. I forget his name, but the last Olympics in Rio, he took an Olympics off, came back and won the 50, which is a sprint. So, you know, anyway, I, I just say it's not, I don't think it's 0%. That's all I'll say. I'm not, not speculating or want to start rumors, but that's, you know, you can't <laughs> count Mike out ever. Um, Phil, we could literally go forever. I think you're definitely going to be a repeat podcast guest if you would be so willing at some point. So, but let's, let's make sure we dive in. I, I know on Instagram and Twitter, we do have this giveaway. I'm trying to look at my Instagram because there were a lot of good questions here, but let's try to, let's get some, let's get some, uh, Let's get some of these questions dive through here. I mean, there's this is a lot, guys. This is literally there is an overload of questions. So let's let's dive through and kind of scroll through and pick out some uh, before we get cut off here. Uh, let's go with how to handle fame. So this is from Ivan Sandaloff. Uh, since everyone who plays poker will know you, how do you use that? I guess I even take it further. How does that work for you? Because it's like kind of being a girl. I feel like if you're a well-known poker player, they either want to be nice to you. Or they want to bluff you. And I would imagine that's where some of the greatness comes, where you get to know, all right, this guy's trying to tell his friends and make a hero call. He just won't fold me or he's going to bluff me. And no, this guy doesn't want to even confront with me. He's going to fold his big blind when I open. So talk about that a little. How do you deal with that at the table and how do you use that to your advantage? Well, there's, yeah, there's two things. Uh, so the first one is how to deal with fame, which is, a, which is, which is not easy. And then how to deal with being Phil Hellmuth at the table. And so I'll, I'll say, I'll talk about the fame first. Uh, the fame stuff blows everybody's minds. That's why 95% of the celebrities are crazy, you know, I mean, uh, or, or go through or seem to be crazy because it's a, not a natural, normal thing to have everybody staring at you every day. And you know what I mean? And, and coming up to you for pictures everywhere I go every day, pictures. You also everywhere, are what, six, every four, six, six or six, four, six, six. Yeah, I'm also tall, right? So, so I stand out. I'm also yeah. in black and gold, so I stand out. <laughs> but it's crazy. Until you're with me, you have no idea, right? And and um, it's just people come up to me, JG, and they tell me they love me every day. I mean, I knew that I was going to transition from poker brat. I mean, can you imagine somebody telling you that a random person you've never met telling you that they love you almost every day? That happens in Vegas. People want pictures and autographs every day, everywhere I go, tons of pictures these days. And you know, it's, it's crazy. I've taken thousands of selfies this year already. And so dealing with that and then going to Brazil and being in touch with the Don of Brazil, you know, the, 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 the biggest guy in Brazil and his son finds me the first night at the stadium, you know, and brings me, I was already in the triple VIP booth. He brings me to the quadruple VIP booth with all the actresses. And I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. I've been in town 24 hours. And then, you know, that family had a bulletproof car waiting for me outside of the hotel every day. Whenever I left, boom, there's a driver, boom, go wherever you want, Phil. And just the whole experience of fame blows your mind. And the only thing that I can do that I've, that I've figured out is I take a chapter from my own book. I take that chapter of write down your blessings. So in Rio, my wife said, you're too cocky. I mean, I remember one night I was with Roy Choi, you know, Roy Choi is a fan of mine and we're sitting at his booth in his kitchen 
you know, and, and, and there's Jerry Rice hanging out with me and coming up to me. And then, and then we go to hang out with Nellie and Nellie can't wait to talk with me. And he's talking for five minutes straight about poker. Yeah. I can beat Draymond Green and all this. Just one night in Vegas where I just went from movie star thing to movie star thing to movie star thing. Craziness, right? And, uh, and then so my wife's like, you're too cocky. Okay. So what did I do? I wrote down my blessings. What's my first blessing? Health. What's my second blessing? My wife and kids and health for them. What's my third blessing? Bracelets. You know, what's my like fourth or fifth, um, you know, financial security. And so then I thought, wow, you're all cocky about all this stuff that doesn't even matter. Yeah, you're hanging out with the world's biggest people, celebrities, billionaires, but that's not even your top four. So settle down and be happy for the top four. So for me to snap back out of too much ego, I really have to focus on my blessings list and kind of the top four things on that list. Now, as far as dealing with being Phil Helmy at the table, it's an enormous advantage, right? And I find I do a lot better when I'm really nice to everybody at the table okay. because people, they want to they wanna shake my hand. I realized this by 2006. Everybody wants to shake my hand. Everybody wants to ask me a question. And that's, that's fine. That's normal. It's natural. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm very patient in those situations. Occasionally someone asks me a super awkward question and I get thrown for a loop for a few minutes. <laughs> like there's always these awkward people. Right. And that's OK. But then I've, I have a strategy for that, too, now. Um, but but generally speaking, because I have a reputation for playing so tight, mm -hmm. I'm able to steal more pots. Right. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of likes that saying when I say to them, um, when I say, uh, I'll take this one, you take the next one. Everybody smiles when they hear that that's and they start nice. laughing. That's a clean. Story. And a lot of times they will fold in that spot. And sometimes I have it, sometimes I don't. But it feels like I'm able to use my reputation to accumulate a few more chips. And then also I have those people that are just trying to tell. They, they told me this in 2009, JG. They're like, we just want to tell our grandkids we played a pot against you. I don't feel that. I just feel like I'm Phil Helmuth, just a normal guy from Wisconsin. If you walk around feeling like that guy all the time, you're an egomaniac. And I try to fight that as best I can. So people are like, I just want to tell my grandson I beat you a pot. Well, there is that subset of people. And then basically they end up giving me chips. They end up putting horrible beats on me too. Right. But at the end of the time, they end up giving me a lot of chips. Uh, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I want to quickly, before I forget, because this is, I mean, how can we not talk about this uh, before we do dive into some of those questions, winning the main event. Tell me a little bit about that experience. How many days was it back then? I think it was 178 runners, if I'm not mistaken, 106. No, this was different one. 178 is right, I think. 178. Uh, where is it? It's here somewhere down here. Oh, there it is. 100 and yeah, 178 runners. You beat Johnny Chan heads up. Who had he already? He had won the main already. Was this actually? His, would that have been his third year in a row? Is that Correct. right? Chan won at 87 and 88. So he was he was literally about to go a three peat. You win in 89. Talk talk to me a little bit about what that was like. I mean, well, you just went 755 thousand. How old are you? 21, the youngest ever winner there. I mean. How, how do you wipe the smile from your face? I mean, you just beat Chan heads up. Like that's gotta be pretty, pretty incredible. Is there footage of that? Do they have, do they have archive? Of course. Yeah. I mean, all you gotta do is YouTube, uh, Phil Helmuth, uh, main event, 1989. And it shows me the last hand 
uh, it's like five minute clip and it shows me going like this, staring into the camera and turning around looking for my father who had attended his first poker tournament and saw me win the main event and 750,000, which you probably have to multiply by 20 right now is 15 million. But even if, even if you just multiply it by 13, it's still like 10 million, right? So yeah. it was a lot of money to win back in 1989. Um, that was an incredible moment for me, JG. And I, I had, you know, Chan was actually going for more like the five pe people don't know this. He won, there were four events you really wanted to win any bracelet of which there were like 10 of those. All right. And then you wanted to win the Hall of Fame main event. You wanted to win Amarillo Slim's main event. You wanted to win the Bicycle Club main event. There were about four or five, four majors per year. And Shannon won the Hall of Fame main event two years in a row and the main event at the World Series two years in a row. He was going for a number like five in a row. It was an incredible run. Uh, he was just crushing everybody. And uh, I told everybody that I'm going to win it. I left the, the voice on my machine. I mean, there were like 11 events that year in 89 or and I and I uh, and I told and I left a, a message on my machine. You're talking to the reigning world champion of poker. Wow. That was almost 30 years ago. But in May 18th, it'll be 30 years ago. And, uh, you know, when I went and I and my father flew in and it was the first time he ever watched me play when he landed. I was at a final table of Potlum in Omaha with TJ Cloutier. And unfortunately, I finished fifth. I remember my dad sat down. I said, hey, this is my dad. I want him to sit here. I'd never asked for seating in my life. So they let him sit in the front row or whatever. My dad immediately told a joke to the table and I'm like, <laughs> dad, we're playing for like $250,000 for first or whatever it was. You know, you can't be telling jokes to the table, <laughs> but I, I thought it was cute. And I was so happy it was there. Yeah, I wasn't even awesome. embarrassed. I'm like, yeah, whatever. This is my dad. Don't mess with him. And uh, I believe I finished fifth. That was Saturday night. And, but I had told my dad, uh, you know, I want you to go to trip on me. I'd brought, I had brought my mom on a trip to swim with dolphins and study shamanism in Florida, Florida Keys. I had brought my brother uh, to L.A. with me and a bunch of places, cruise ships. And I, said, I want you to go to New Zealand or Australia with me. And he said, no, I want to go to the main event. And I'm like, no, 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 I'll come back in three months. Same answer. I said, no, 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 don't do that because I'm not even going to be able to pay attention to you. I'll come back in three months. He said, that's where I want to go. I said, fine. I said, if I win it, I'm going to buy you a new car and I'm going to win it. <laughs> wow. So he flies out there. I remember the first morning he wakes me up at the Golden Nugget at 11 a.m. And he's brought like a tray of food I've asked him to bring. But he forgot the bananas. I'm like, damn it, Dad, you forgot the bananas. I have the bananas, man. That's important. And I'm like, and my dad, you know, I mean, my poor dad, he's, he's like, you know, he's never, you know, and I'm the next day at everything perfect woke me up at 11 a.m. But I wouldn't let him watch me. OK, because I'd what my mom had watched me and I'd freaked out and blown a tournament earlier. Okay. And so I'm like, all right, dad, just hang out close by. But, you know, not actually physically watching me yet. I'm not ready. And so he was in the truck. ESPN was there in 1989. There's a whole show on this, me winning it. And uh, he was in the truck. And the minute I won, my hands are up in the air like this, right? And you can see it uh, on the YouTube video. And then I turn. And the reason I turn is my dad's running up the aisle. But there's a million dollars in cash. This is 1989 sitting on the table. Security stops him. And I'm like, I wave him through. Dad, and I remember just giving him a hug within a minute or two of winning it. And, you know, and just saying, oh, my God, this is the best moment of my life. And my father's there. 
And then fast forward to 10 minutes later, he's being interviewed. I'm being interviewed and I glance over and my dad's like, well, we knew Phil was special when, (laughs) you know, and he's going on and on. And I just thought, this is great. Here's my dad doing all these interviews. I'm doing all these interviews and uh, my life, one of my lifetime goals, which I did write down uh, lifetime goals, which is the fourth chapter of my book that I've talked to you about yearly goals, writing your blessings down, taping them on your bathroom mirror, both of those hate hurts you. I talked about that chapter a little bit, and this is writing down your lifetime goals. Well, one of my lifetime's goals was, you know, win the main event. So check. Got it done early. Oh, and I bought my dad a new Mercedes. There you go. No sweat, no waiting. Just got it done right away. Well, let's, yeah, I want to, obviously we need to talk about that. That's just, I mean, winning the main event is special as it gets. So we're going to, we're going to run through some of these questions and see here for Phil. Are there any crazy pots you can describe without naming names? I mean, I know you also get to play in some pretty special home games. I've dabbled in that arena as well, which is one of those things where certain times you just, you know, some of the best stories don't get told or the sizes or who they're with, but is there any, is there any pot like a, a crazy run out or a ridiculous, are you playing mostly hold them? I think, right. And you guys aren't playing PLO too much or other games, but is there any like pots that really jump out? He was like, that was just unbelievably big or wild. I'm thinking, I will say that I will say when I was practicing for the NBC Heads Up Championships in 2013, I was playing Shamath Heads Up. Okay. Shamath's my best friend. And he just kept getting in bad, kept getting in bad. He just kept calling it off with 10 jack, you know, and I always had whatever, the ace nine, and he kept beating me. Okay. And I was just like, what the hell is going on here? I said, you're supposed to be giving me confidence. Stop calling it off with nine, 10 suited jack, putting these beats on me. And, uh, and we were laughing and we were playing like $5,000 a match, but there's always a lot of laughter there between he and I and fun. And then I entered that NBC heads up championships and, and got all the way down to heads up against Mike, the mouth where there is a hand that the world saw that most of you probably don't remember. Um, and I'll never forget this hand where Mike and I are heads up. I win the, he wins the first one. I won the second one. We're on for the championship. And I'd won this event in 05. Now I'm playing for the NBC Heads Up Championships. I know I'm a better Hold'em player than Mike for sure, but you still have to prove it. And I played badly and put in way too much money with one pair when he had an ace-eye flush. And now I'm just starting to settle down. And this hand comes up where he raises, and I call with King-10 offsuit. And the flop comes down, King-Jack-Three. Okay, the taxi cab. And I check. Yep. And he bets the pot and I call and the turn is a blank. And I check again and he bets the pot again, like a hundred thousand. Okay. And I'm talking, talking, talking. And Mike and I talk about this and we're trying to talk to Matt Savage about this. That right now, the time, the times, the, t- the way they do the time is screwed up in tournaments. You should not have a 30 second clock. You should have more like a chess clock. Cause Mike and I fold most of our hands in two seconds. Like and then occasionally idea. we need, Occasionally, I need four or five minutes to figure out a hand. So does Mike and so does Daniel, just to absolutely be certain. So, so I'm in the middle of a four-minute process talking to Mike when I suddenly realize I have the nuts. And I'm celebrating on the inside for figuring out this puzzle, this riddle. And so I say, all in, 350, I had 357,000. 357 magnum, baby. I, I just compared it to a gun, just yeah. entertaining 357 Magnum all in. Yeah. And Mike starts thinking and I'm like, well, he would have snapped me with King queen for sure. So, I mean, I could see him studying 10 seconds with King He's study, 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 study. And then he flips his hand up queen deuce of diamonds. Okay. And then I'm like, 
God, he only has nine outs. Maybe I'll try to talk him into calling. There's no way he's getting the math for the call. It's not even close. He had, he had to call like, say, 257. It only made sense to call like 90 more or something. Yeah. No math. And I start baiting him a little bit. Okay. And I'm like, Mike, this is your chance to win the turn. He's already decided he's going to fold. He has a face up, but a minute's passed, two minutes passed, three minutes passed. And I say, this is your chance to win the tournament, bro. What if I have bottom pair? You know how long I studied. Right. And then all of a sudden, it's like I talked him into calling and he puts the money in. Wow. And I'm like, this is sweet. He calls it off. And now I'm going to have the chip lead. And I'm going to do after he misses this, he's going to start swearing at himself. How did I call it off? What a stupid play that was. I know what he's going to do. He's going to blow up and just give me the tournament. And I'm going to have two NBC heads up championships in my back pocket, which is sweet. Yeah. But somehow, some way, the diamond hits. Sometimes they get there. He might have had eight outs. I mean, maybe I had the ten of diamonds. I'll I have to go back. I know a great poker player that once said, "If it wasn't for luck, I would win every tournament." I believe I've heard someone say that. <laughs> I mean, I had. Dude, there's 44 cards to come. What does he have? Eight winners? Yeah. It's I mean, tough. maybe nine. He's four to one underdog. I'm supposed to take the chip lead. Anyway, that, that pot hurt. Uh, that one stands uh, out. Yeah, it's, it is true. I think we uh, that that also is a great rounders quote. But it's like you know, you remember the pots, the the big pots that don't come home or you get, you lose. I mean, that's generally how it works. Of course we win. We remember the big ones too, but the, the you want a good beat hand JG. What's that? You want to hear a good beat story or yeah, no? I want to hear a good one. One for one. Eye for an eye. Good. Cause I like telling good beat stories more actually. Yeah. So I'm playing at the final table. I want to call it Oh mm, seven, maybe Oh five, maybe Oh nine. And for some an reason I limp in, not even I limp in with what? It was an odd year. It wasn't a, it was yeah. odd, one of the five, seven, nine. Okay. I limp in with King seven of diamonds might've been. Oh, anyway, whatever. Let's not guess the year. I limp in with King seven of diamonds at the final table under the gun, okay. weird play. And it goes, everybody folds and the blinds both call and the flop comes down King queen nine. And I'm like, all right, I trapped these guys. Right. All right. And so they both check. I fire the guy, the guy who has, um, uh, 10 Jack smooth calls. The guy who has queen nine raises, I call the raise and then the 10 Jack moves in and then the queen nine, uh, studies forever and folds queens and nines. Great fold. Okay. And I decide that this is the same goofball that moved in with me with deuce four offsuit. And I could see he didn't have, and I called him for with ACE three offsuit for a stack. Okay. Right. And I'm like, could he be doing some goofy move again, like nine, 10 or, you know what I mean? Or queen 10 because he'd moved in with deuce four the day before. And he'd sucked out on me for a big pot. I convinced myself to call. Now he flips up a straight and now I'm like, wow, how did I put 70% of my chips in with one pair in the spot? How stupid was this? And I'm just like, Oh my God. And I said, and I told my wife and my wife is there. And I think my son, Philip is there watching. They'd smuggled him in. Um, I'm not going to say who, because the gaming commission, (laughs) but gaming commissions, their time to do anything is passed. My son's there and he's like 17 or 18. And I'm like, Oh my God, I need diamond diamond or running pairs. And I think this guy's saying I folded Queens and nines and boom, diamond diamond. Beautiful. And then I went on to win that bracelet. So, so you got it. You got to balance some of the bad ones with some of the good ones. For sure. No, no doubt about it. All right. We're going to keep some of these. There's a lot of questions. So Phil, we're going to try to do, do a handful of these. 
Uh, hi, Phil, one of your biggest idols. Please answer me the following. Let's go back to the idols. Tell me about the learning process. How did you go from being a donk like the rest of us to Phil Hellmuth? Desperation. I mean, you know, I mean, I talk about that a lot in my book, Poker Brat, and in my book, Positivity. You know, two things seem to motivate people in this planet. One is desperation. One is inspiration. And so there were just a lot of times where I just needed the money. I mean, I'd be down to forehand in a World Series tournament. Yes, I'm a bracelet guy, but I'd be like, all right, uh, Jack McClellan, what's first, what's second, what's third? There's five of us left. Okay, I need to make the final three. That means I can't play a hand unless it's really strong. Let everybody else bust themselves up. Desperation helped me a lot. And studying Nolan and Holdem. And when you're studying and talking with people about the game all the time, you're going to have certain observations that are going to help you. So I'd call it like my study group is like Mike the Mouth Mattisau and Brandon Cantu. And then people laugh. And I'm like, why would you laugh? These are these are great players. Well, they haven't gotten there in a while. Well, Mattisau just finished 24th in, you know, in at the Commerce main event, right. the last big poker tournament played. And I was helping him and he was helping me. And so talking about poker all the time helps. You know, and then thinking back, I, I would, there's a lot of times also I blew tournaments. I, and I'd go back and say, all right, you made a mistake. You can't do that again. That's why I like the series, JG. That's why I like the series. Because if I blow a tournament one day, I can play no limit hold them the next day. And if I blow that and I just keep fine tuning and fine tuning and fine tuning. And that's what I love is so you're just, my mind is always it, engaged. Poker, it is, poker, it is poker. special because even at like party poker or, you know, one of these series stops, it's amazing. We were in Rio. We had a good time play the main, but when the main kind of, when it's out, the side event doesn't have the exact luster at the world series. All right. Yeah. The main is the one to win, but every event you're playing for something so meaningful and it's just right there there's no flights you don't have to wait a week a month it's just back to back to back to back this is gonna be my first summer that i'm not there every day with the baby coming and you know i, I already i already miss it you know i already can say man it's like not gonna be the same and you have all your friends out there and everyone kind of gathers in so I, I can i can relate with you it's true it's just so unique what they well, do you're there. saying jg it's a festival of poker it really is yeah Absolutely. We got some legends in the chat. What up, Poker Staples? Also, Cards Chat is here, Sheffield 16. We had to cut the stream because of difficulties. We're up to 45 live viewers. This will be on iTunes. This will be all over the board. Uh, Phil's quite a sport. Said, didn't even put a time limit on us. We're going to have to, at some point, we're going to have to cap it. But, Phil, there are, so, I mean, between Instagram and Twitter, there are so many interesting questions. People are, they, they got some great questions, Phil. So, I, I mean, What's we're going to. Poker Staples? He's in the building, man. Jamie Staples also was there uh, up for. First streamer of the year i was there lex got it done twitch pretty incredible i know phil you've dabbled and you know it's, I, I did want to mention about twitch youtube all this stuff content all the things you do do you feel that you suffer is it ever hard like mental mental strength and poker is so powerful do you ever find it hard to block out all that's going on i know you use brian and poker royalty i've you know use those guys as well trying to have key people in your life to help manage and organize stuff because when I, I would imagine for you you have a good way of blocking stuff out that when you go play it's time to play you're not on your phone so much you try not to be talk about that a little because that's something i struggle with you know instagram twitter snapchat all this stuff i have help but i'm still distracted a lot and i don't get to play as much as i would like how do you deal with that can you can you answer that uh, on how you deal with yeah that's a great question that's a great question yeah how to balance the life it's a really difficult thing to do i mean i had someone who was a full-time ceo of all my companies and then when when in when 2012 came and the uiga came along 
I realized I was spending 65,000 a month. And, uh, and then of course I won the main event at, in Europe for a million and the million went so quickly. I was like, Whoa. So we had to cut down our expenses. I'm doing a lot more myself now. One thing I'll tell you, JG is this. Yes. I joined the advisory board for lasso socks. Love it. That's going to be, we're going to have some big announcements with some huge athletes investing, you know, but I, but when I talk to lasso, for example, when I talk to Partha, I say, Hey, listen, what I can do is I can make one or two key helps for you and I can help a little bit with social media, right? Maybe I'll put you in touch with Draymond Green or Andrew Bogut or Steph Curry or Tiger Woods or somebody like that, right? And then I can also put you in touch with my billionaire friends it's of which they have five of the biggest funds in the world, VC funds when we need to raise money. And so, but then it's understood it's a limited relationship as far as I'm going to add, I'm going to add whatever value they gave me. If they give me 1% in stock or 2%, I've, I've entered 30 deals like this. I've always added value, but JG in that spot, I am very open that my biggest weakness is my time. And the minute the world series of poker starts, I am going to do no business for two months. Now, every year, there's always a deal that I'm about to close. I mean, I'm involved with so many business deals. Phil, we're right? basically brothers in business now. I don't. We have five businesses we're inv we're investing together. It's kind of travelsmarter.com. Yeah, I can show you that. Lasso socks. Yep. Bspot.com, which yep. is pretty amazing. Yep. Where you can actually, have you talked about that? Where you can gamble. That's, a, that's you and a crazy... I started a talent agency for esports. That's true too. And the other one we and can't we're about talk to about. Invest in we can't even talk about the other one yet, which is probably the most exciting, I think. Well, not actually, I don't want to say that because they're all uniquely exciting. But this is there's another one that's like, you know, just the fact that it hasn't been talked about or announced is like it's exciting. But they're all exciting. But yeah, it's five, legitimately five. Who knows? I didn't even know you were in B spot initially because you, we came at different times. But it's crazy, man. We're in like a business vortex. Like, I mean, it's it's wild. That's my term, business vortex. I'm going to start hashtagging business vortex because everything I'm touching is turning to gold and platinum. It's crazy. I don't even understand it. It's been like this for months. Phil, that's it not just a seems bad like thing. All these 2019, it's time, man. It's time to run hot. You've done the poker thing. Now you're, 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 you're diving into it. Boy, you run hot in business. You're going to make 100, 200, 300 million. That's, it's beautiful to run hot in business. I'm running hot. I have a long ways to go to get to 100 million, but I'm running hot and it's been beautiful. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's better than running hot in poker, except that I, my, my stated goal is to become the greatest poker player of all time. But JG, I will say this, the one thing that I do that's kept me looking 10 years or 15 years, hopefully younger than I am. You do look young. Is that I, I, not that you're old, but I'm just saying like you, I generally, I had to look the other day just because I thought you were like 42. I promise you. I'm 54 and no one, everyone's shocked when they hear it. I sleep in every day. And then JG, I mean, you know, I'm getting slammed with all these K1s from all these funds right now. I'm just passing them on to my accountant. There's, we were investing in two new things. My wife and I have to sign this. My wife and I have to sign that. Some options we have to pay taxes on, even though the company. So it seems like I'm spending an hour or two a day or three doing business. But then I get to sleep in every day. And, you know, once six o'clock comes, my wife and I are sitting on the couch. We're like any boring couple watching billions on television, watching, watching our favorite TV shows and just kind of chilling out and ordering from DoorDash, getting, you know, getting some like the room service of 
Palo Alto for me yep. and uh, just kind of chilling and having just a really nice life. And so, and I'll walk to the coffee shop when I get up every morning, there and back only a half a mile or less back and forth, but at least I get a little walk and I'm trying to walk 10,000 steps a day yep. and I'm home five weeks straight. So my voice is a little sore from the poker awards Friday night from emceeing all day at the Aria you know, and so, but, but I'm almost fully recovered from that. I slept 12 hours one night. And so if you want balance, I think you need sleep. And I think you can't those minutes where you feel like you have too much going on and you feel buried. Then I kind of, you know, sleep more and I write down, all right, this is what I need to do today. This is what I need to do tomorrow. And I know this with you. I don't even have to ask you, but your emails build up and you're like, shit, there's something I was supposed to do from two weeks ago. And then when you finally are relaxed, you go back and finish that thing from two weeks ago and a week ago and, you know, get kind of everything online and the important stuff you're going to finish. And so there's a nice balance there, JG, but you have to watch your health because you're on the path to make hundreds of millions of dollars. You're you're one of the one of the few guys in poker that's really focused on business and spreading yourself across the board, you know, but you are going to need to make sure that you don't, you know, over commit. Yeah. Yeah, you can't burn yourself out. And another piece of advice for you specifically, JG, you you're burning a lot of energy doing the streams every day during the series that takes a toll on you. No, you know, I understood when I was taking, I agreed. There was, you know what happened to me? I had my first two non-profitable WSOPs the last two years. And I was like, man, I'm doing raise your edge. I'm doing this other stuff. I'm 10 times, a much better player than I used to be. I'm like, what's happening. And I looked at it and I was like, man, I came in, there was a lot of days I was doing YouTube videos, titles, editing, all these different things. And I was like, man, I'm starting at five, six o'clock. There were a lot of times I was registering 10, 15 blinds in these one case, 1500s. And I was like, you know what? Cause you, you know, you'll late reg sometimes. There's nothing wrong with the late reg, but in some of those one case, when you come in with 10 blinds or, you know, if you come in and I mean, when you play a, a tournament and you're not enough, it's tough man you just I was like I'm, I was wondering what's different than the others the other years and you can say variance and some of that for sure but there was definitely a lack of concentration I'm at the, on my phone a lot and just kind of being realistic with what I'm doing and realizing that the focus isn't all there so you know I think there's I told I will tell you this I I, I was staking six seven guys at once okay and I'm a master at talking to people so I would keep an eye on them. And when they were deep in a tournament, and had a lot of chips, I'd have to go over there and talk to them or they'd say, Phil, I need to talk to you. And, uh, and I was a master at calming them down, but that took so much energy from me playing and just focusing on me. Yeah. I understood it. And I stopped staking everybody got out of that game by 2000. I told Phil Ivey, I said, you're going to stop staking everybody because it's a pain in the ass. He was taking 10 or 15 guys moving a million here, a million there. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden I warned him it's going to happen. And he said, I'm not sure. And then of course, a year later, he dropped everybody. He kept one horse and uh, you know, because it's a distraction. It, it, there's a ceiling on what you can accomplish when you're actively using energy on other things. Yep. I agree with that. I actually, I completely agree with that. It's um, I've done that. I, I have it down to, a couple pieces and stuff which is a little different than staking because it's like less committal you can buy a piece which is kind of fun i know i was and I, I i'm shouting out stake kings i know you do you stake but where you can buy a piece of people which i think is is fun and it's cool but like the staking part of it is a lot of work and the, you know not saying it's, if you're playing as well staking is great if you don't if you can't play if you want to do it as a business but if you're actually playing 
and dealing with that, you got to meet people, you got to get money. I mean, it, you're on your phone that much more. It, it's a lot of a lot of uh, it's a lot of headaches. So I think that's true too. Trying to get rid of distractions and be as focused as you can. That's a good point. And I think a lot of people. Yeah, JJ, you should just you have to prioritize. Do you want bracelets or do you want to? You know, I mean, you might just take a week where you say, you know what, I'm done streaming for this week. I'm just going to completely focus on poker. Let's see how I do. Now, variants might not be with you that week. But I think you'll feel better. You'll have more energy and you'll go deeper. And I think you'll notice it. Yeah. And absolutely. for me, I always drag the business with me. And it's always like the second or third or fourth day of the World Series. And I'm still doing business. And I'm like, stop. That's enough. It's affecting you. And then I'll just kind of like, so every business deal I've entered, you know, Partha, who's a great young CEO for Lasso Socks, you know, and we have a Champ Bailey in there, right? Yep. And, uh, and, and some other celebrities are coming on board and it's going to be a fun mission, but he knows once May 28th pops by, I'm going to be just playing poker and, and I will do that. Absolutely. That's smart. I mean, it makes sense, man. It's your time and you just, you get everything else done, but when it's there, it's game time, it's game time. Uh, let's dive into a few more of these. Who is the toughest opponent you ever compete with? Or who is the funniest player? I guess the toughest and the funniest, I guess. Uh, yeah. What do you, what's your, what comes to mind? I'll say toughest opponent was, you know, drunk Lane Flack. <laughs> okay. Because drunk Lane Flack was unstoppable. Dr you know, Lane Flack has like five bracelets. Back to back Flack. I know Lane. We played at, uh, I mean, we played the golf thing. Remember that at uh, Shadow Creek with, with me, you and him. And I think yep. it was, I forget who Mike and who else, but that, that was him there. I, I've, he, he does like to have a few drinks and play golf. I know that. Right. And so I kid him, you know, I mean, I started calling him in my books, Drunk Lane Flack, because Drunk Lane, you just couldn't bluff. Drunk Lane, when it comes nine, nine, eight, and you check raise him with nothing, he just puts in a million dollars all in with an eight with a jack kicker. Okay. Because he knows it's good. Don't That's bluff. dangerous, he's, he's man. Got when you're playing he's got spidey senses. Yeah. When you're playing against a guy and it's, you know how, like, you just blew your whole stack. If it comes nine, nine, eight, and you're shoving in your stack with an eight and the other guy has something, you blew all your chips for no reason. That's powerful. It's like saying, I know you don't have it. And so he, like, he made me sit on my hands a lot in the day. Um, Phil Ivey's always been a tough opponent for me as well. Ivey's been lucky against me so far in our lives. I mean, like, I mean, when we filmed the cash game, raised pot, it somehow comes 10, nine, seven. I finally have top set. You know, and I'm ready to boogie and somehow he has six, eight, you know, yeah. I'll never forget. We're seven handed at the LAPC. I have ace king of hearts and I just seven X raised at the hand before seven X. And so I raise it with ace king of hearts and the cutoff and Ivy's on the button with aces somehow wow. and two million. And I have five million, four point three million. And all of a sudden he has four million and I have two million. I mean, that was cold. That's but uh... just the timing of that coming down, the, the hands he's. But I, I told Ivy I'm going to get even with him. And he said, yeah, I know you will. He said, I just hope I'm up three or four million before you get even, yeah. which was Those a pretty guys, funny line. Guys seem to hold over or they're, or they're They just kind of play you particularly well against you. I definitely have guys who I think are stand out as being tough. What about funny? Mm, funny. I mean, <laughs> I would say, you know, I, I really enjoy playing with Negreanu at my table. Really enjoy it. He has a lot of energy. There's a lot of laughter there. There's a lot of pleasantness in the air when we're at the table together. I think sometimes Phil Ivey can be really funny. I mean, he and I enjoy being at the same table. I also like playing with Mattisau can be really funny sometimes, Mike the Mouth, yeah. when he and I are at the same table. Um, there's some guys with some real dry senses of humor as well, but 
you know, even Fedor Holtz had a few pretty funny jokes when when we played together. For sure, I'd agree with those those sentiments. Um, let's say let's let's kind of knock through some of these because I, I do want to. Again, you're going to be a multiple podcast guest if you choose. I would love that. So we don't, you know, we can always. Uh, I do want to get some of these questions down, and then we can do always more later. Your first bracelet, 1989, was the one you enjoyed the most. I think that's got to be obvious, and well, I would assume that's the case. What is the one the most important? Like, let's take that out of it. Which is the one that you think was, was there ever a dry spell or just one that just was so powerful or players championship? What's one that stands out besides the main? Players seem to have like what, what people don't understand. Players seem to have these lulls that they go through and it seems to happen around your age, maybe a little bit older. It just seems like if you looked at the history of poker and you looked at the results that people have had from say the age of 34 to 40, it's just weird how they don't win as many bracelets. I don't understand it. I've just noticed that it occurs. It happened to Daniel, Ivy, me, at least. And there's other players it happens to. There seems to be that kind of little dry spot there for a few years that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So, you know, winning one in 97 was nice because I hadn't won one uh, since, I guess it was 93. Mm-hmm. So I won one in 97. And then I won one in, I think, I want to say 2000 or 2001 winning one of those was kind of nice. Um, also winning my first non holdem bracelet was nice. I mean, you know, winning a RAS tournament was nice. I'd been down there so much and everybody's like, Phil can only play Hold'em. And, you know, even though we knew even back then we knew in 2015 or whenever I won it, 2015 was my first RAS. I think we knew that, if you looked at Daniel's $25,000, you know, uh, he has this contest where we measure your points. So I was the points leader for six years. I'm still the points leader. So if you take all the years Daniel done it, has done this, I'm on top. The first five years, I'm on top. The first seven years. So we knew that I was getting there in all the games. But still, they want to find some way to criticize me. Right. Maybe because I'm too cocky and talk about myself too much. <laughs> and so their criticism is Phil can only play Hold'em. Well, that went out the window. Yeah. And then Phil can only win Hold'em bracelets. Well, now I've won two RAS bracelets in a second. Um, and I've made final tables in almost every game in the last few years. Okay. So that that's uh, that was, to, yeah, I get it. During that period of time, 34 to 40, it's a, it's a time where you feel there's some drought. So kind of snapping the drought, that, that stands out, gets you back some confidence. It sort of segues us into the next comment here. What are uh, some of the things you do when a downswing's occurring? I guess either tournaments or cash to try to reverse the trend. Is there anything you've, you remember being in a funk or just something that you, it kind of gets you out of one? Because obviously it happens different, different times. By the way, come back to that question in a second. I'll say something that I think everyone would think is very interesting. There's been two or three times in my life where I just had no confidence, you know, and one of those times was probably in 97 before that series. And another time was probably in 1999. And then I went on that historic run where I made 50 final tables from January 1st to like, you know, the, the you know, whatever, the 2003 it's crazy and like in huge tournaments. But can you imagine that coming into 2000, um, I remember coming into January, we had a tournament, I believe it was at the Rio Hotel, not at the Rio. Yeah, maybe it was the Rio. I had no confidence. And I was just like, you know, and I was like, yeah. And I'd, I'd been beaten up a little bit playing at the Bay 101. I'd won 50,000 straight, but I'd lost back 40 of it. But I slowly lost the 40 back over a couple of months. And so my confidence was just really low and everybody's telling me how great I am. And I didn't feel great. 
everybody's like, I want to meet with Phil. He's great. And I, I didn't feel great. I, I felt the opposite of great. I didn't feel like a fraud because I know I'd done what I'd done. But, you know, and then all of a sudden it just kind of happened where I just started winning and winning and winning and winning. And but I think during those times, you're really searching for what can I do? And it's during those times when you don't feel great that you're really refining your skills, where you're really seeing things the most clearly, where you're really working hard, yeah. you know, and then boom, the results just hit for years. And so, you know, we have these lulls and sometimes, and, you know, and sometimes the way to get it out for me uh, to come back to that question finally is to say that almost every time I'm on a losing streak and, and JG, it's almost unbelievable to say this. I hadn't lost three years in a row, three times in a row. I hadn't lost for years. I hadn't had a losing month for years. When I finally lost three times in a row in 2015, that was the only time in a six year period I had three losses in a row. So what do I do? The first loss pisses me off. The second loss really pisses me off. And I examine every hand and I always come back to the same thing. Play super, 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 super tight. And it's amazing how effective when you play Hold'em and how often you win when you get back to that. Get back and to the so, some starting hand ranges, just to tighten up a bit. Yep. That I just be. cut it way down because when you're on a rush and you're winning everything, seven, eight suited's hitting and everything's great. You know what I mean? You just open your range up and you're winning more money. And then just boom, I just shut it down. And so it's weird how, you know, um, I've really lost three times in a row. Now it's happened to me in 2019. I lost 90,000. Draymond Green was at that game. Uh, he flew into Vegas to play with us. I had a bunch of my Chicago billionaire friends. I lost 95K at a time. Now I've won 85 back, but not within a month. So I've had my first losing month. So if you stretch it over two months, I'm almost even, but. Yeah, that's, yeah, for sure. I mean, hey, it's part of the game. It's important. I think that's one of the things with, with amateurs and pros or, you know, rec fun player, however you say, it's like when things aren't going so well, not to press it or to look at how can you adjust it versus just pushing through. And then when you're hot, knowing how to press and when you're not to, to lay back a bit and adjust. So I think that's, that's true for, you know, for pros in general. Um, My fallback gear is super tight. All right, continue. Let's see. Let's go. Uh, if you could go back to one of the presents back in time to be present at one of the moments in life that you missed out on as a poker player, which would it be? Uh, would that may, I guess I would maybe take that as a period of your life or is there a time maybe you're, I'm not sure I'm going to interpret the question correctly, but is there a period of time you wish you could do over or you would have played less poker or, um, more done something differently? Is there anything you kind of feel like you missed out on over your poker career? So I read that question a little bit differently than you. I thought the question was more asking, is there a pivotal moment in the history of poker you would go back to? But rather than answer that, I'll answer what you said, which I think is even a little bit better. And if I could ever go back in time and change something that I did yeah. in poker, you know, I think, I think there's a time where I would go back to, you know, um, there's two places. One would be 1993 where I won three bracelets and I had the chip lead in the main event in 1993. So I won three bracelets in 93 and I had the chip lead in the main event and my mind was blown. I could, it's like, it's like, nobody's this good. It's like, I told myself you won three bracelets and now you're going to, now you're chip leading the main event. It's impossible. Like my mind was so blown with success that I just completely fucked it up from there. 
And so, you know, it would be nice to go back maybe to 1993, at, at, you know, when I had that chip lead and just say, all right, Phil, of course, you're going to be the greatest of all time. Settle the fuck down and, <laughs> and play better. Um, also, the year that Carlos Mortensen won, I could have played better at that final table in the main event. Um, I think I finished fifth. Um, and so I go back and I think, you know, so if, if I had to go back to change anything, you know, for me, it would have to be main rela- main event related as far as, you know, my poker life goes. Okay. Um, if I had to go back through poker history and watch one match, I don't know what that would be, but maybe Doyle Brunson versus Puggy Pearson or something. I don't know. Okay. And uh, what's your favorite movie so far in 2019? And what would it take to play a fun game of poker against you? But let's go with the movie. What's your favorite? Do you have a movie you like so far this year you've seen? My wife and I saw movies we liked so far this year. I can't remember them, but I did see um, I did see the new Avengers, but I finally saw Captain Marvel, and I liked that. I'm not sure it was a great movie, but I, I liked it. Okay. Um, I haven't seen that my one. My wife and I saw a couple movies we liked. I just My memory's not there, though. I'm, I'm the same way. I, I've seen – I can't so – those are always hard. It seems so simple, but I can't remember anything I've seen recently as well. Uh, what it, what a gangster. Can you ask Phil who would win in a boxing match now if he went up against real kid poker? Big fans of all three of you legends. I would crush Daniel, but I will say this. I mean, the reason I didn't want to have that boxing match with him is it was a no-brainer I was going to win because I have such a reach on him. Yeah. It's just a no-brainer I'm going to win. And then he's going to – and everybody's like, he's going to end up with blood all over the place. And then everybody's going to like, oh, wow, Phil beat up Daniel. You know what I mean? I mean, like <clears> – I mean – but I will say that the last few times I've hung out with Daniel and I saw him on Friday night, he's really buffed up, you know, and, and maybe we'd actually have a match of it. But I, I still don't think it would be that close. I mean, I just like I I'm going to have a lot of weight behind my punches because I'm going to step into him and the reach isn't going to be that much. And it's not like he's just going to be able to, he's going to be quicker than me. But is he going to be really able to dance around? I mean, I just think I'm going to connect with something. And and I think, you know. I don't think it's going to be pretty then at that point. Yeah, that's yeah. I would have to I'd, I'd have to bet on you. That's for sure. Uh, which site do you believe is the best platform in 2019? I don't know how much online poker you're playing, but you're pretty in tune to the poker community in the world. What what would you say right now to that? I'm going to pass on that one because you know obviously you know there's 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 a potential for me to be hired by Party Poker and Stars both, and so. Um, and so um, I'm just going to pass. All right. So, all right. You're in, you're in the mix though. You, those are two names, two, two power sites for sure. There's no question. Those are the two, two competitors right now. Uh, let's see, let's do, it's already seven 30. We had a little temporary cup, but let's try to, let's try to speed through some of these films. Like I said, we'll have you back on here. I appreciate the time and I know you got a lot going on. So I don't want to just keep you here all day all those i'm sure everyone would enjoy that uh name what are your five the top five poker players of all time what's your rush more gotta be we gotta take myself out of it right i think so just i gotta take myself out of this one okay um you gotta say doyle brunson because doyle brunson's been playing in the biggest games in the world for over 50 years he still crushes he has 10 bracelets He's amazing. Then, you know, I mean, I think I look at the biggest bracelet winners. Uh, Phil Ivey and Johnny Chan both have 10 bracelets. They've both been playing in the biggest games forever. So you got Ivey and Chan up there. And I, I, I look at bracelets a lot, you know. I mean, uh, Eric Seidel um, deserves respect, you know, and he's and he has a ton of bracelets and he's done well on the high rollers and he's played in some of the biggest games in the world for a long time. So to me, he has to be one of those guys 
Bobby Baldwin's been playing in super, super, super high stakes poker games forever. I just, I just and played he has a bunch some big games with him this year. I've played some of the biggest cash games I've ever played. And yeah, man, he's still battling. You know, he won the, the main event back in, I believe that it was 80. I'm not sure what year. You probably know 80. It was around the, your time, I think. And maybe even 70s. Yeah, it might have been the 78, actually. You're right. It could have been. But so, yeah. Billy Baxter. Yep. Billy Baxter is a great one. Billy Baxter continues to win. Billy Baxter was winning like, you can't even make this up. He was winning like four or five million a year in the 70s. In the juiciest, easiest games you've ever seen. What does he do with all that money? You're making three, four million a year in the 70s, for God's sakes. And so <laughs> Billy, you know, they played this game, low ball. He's the best low ball player in the world for sure, in my eyes, and has proven it year after year. He's always deep. He has a ton of bracelets. So, I mean, you know, that that's that's a that's a pretty good uh, list right there. I like it. Uh, many people say that your style of poker is outdated, but at the WSOP, you perform year after year while you seem to struggle with higher roller events such as the SHRB. I don't know if that's even a fair statement. Why do you think that is the case? Do the younger generation have an edge on you? So a couple of questions there. You've, you've touched on this already on how. Um, yeah. I played in, I think, three super high roller bowls and I have a third place. So obviously I'm ahead and easily could have won that one. Now, this year, I kind of blew it in super high roller bowl. That was my fault to finish whatever, 14th or 13th. I blew it. I just I just got tired or something. I don't even know what happened. But, but um, you know, you look at also we go back and we look at, you know, the one drops at the World Series of Poker. I've only played in four. I'm the only guy with three top tens. So it's hard for me to believe that I you know, haven't performed. I mean, compare me to every other player in the world. Most of these guys, most of these guys that play high rollers all the time, played in six or seven one drops. I only played in four. I'm the only one with three top tens. So I kind of refute that. I, I think that, you know, yeah, probably I'll so win a big high roller soon. Um, unfortunately, I blew the 100K buy-in high roller from like 2015 or or so I blew that one. I had 10 million massive chip lead at the final table. There were at least 100 players in that one, and I blew it. I mean, that was just – that was a sick moment for me. I remember that Duhamel had no chips and was moving all in every hand with a million in chips, and I had 10 million, and somehow he held that trophy. Dan Coleman was on my left, and I was just sure it was going to be Dan Coleman versus me in the finals. And uh, I think Dan felt the same way. And, uh, and we were both disappointed to not be in the top two there. Um, that one really hurt. Uh, very frustrating. But, you know, um, yeah, people do say it's outdated. But my results are, if you compare my results to, any, to anybody else's results in the tournaments we've played, I probably have the best results of anybody. Um, I still continue to crush. And I just can't play as many events. So, I, I played in Brazil and then I hopped in one tournament late there and uh, finished third. Yeah. There were 120 players. Um, I was in you know, that. so I played what, two or three events down there, had a third place. When I went to the East coast, I cashed in the WPT and this just happens to be, Oh my God, this thing's heavy. This just happens to be on my, uh, Oh yeah. This just happens to, that was, that just happens to be on the table. I'm interviewing, but I won that this year and in, in the heads up, 64 players and i won six matches in a row and my heads up match is still the best in the world by far and i think i'm going to win many more heads up bracelets yeah it's an exciting one at the wsop every year that 10k which they kind of it's kind of funny how they do the refunds now with the 5k and 
that's kind of seems to be a, always a guessing game what they do on a buy or not. But that's another story. I see a question here in the YouTube chat. Are you still optimistic for the future of poker for new players wanting to play full time? I think it's a great question. I'm, I, being in the U.S. and not being able to stream on Twitch freely um, on party poker, it's frustrating. How do you feel about the future of poker? Are you optimistic? Do you think we could have another spurt? Do you feel good about, you know, you saw, I see West Virginia passes. Michigan looks like it's going to end up passing on the second round here, most likely. How do you feel about poker in the U.S.? And, and are you optimistic for another round of uh, excitement? Super optimistic. And what happened was Kerry Katz, who we talked about earlier, deserves a lot of this credit. So what happened? What happened? You go back to last year, 2018, one weekend in April. I'm going to guess April. There was a million dollar guarantee at Thunder Valley. There was a uh, 1.5 million guarantee in LA and there was a $2 million guarantee in Philadelphia. That's 4 million in guarantees and three to $500 buy-in tournaments. They all hit their guarantees. They all flew over their guarantees. And at that point I told myself, oh my God, poker is so strong right now. We have 14 days in a row on ESPN. We have all of these millions and $2 million guarantees hitting like clockwork. And then when I went to Bahamas and we had 1,100 players in a $25,000, I was like, oh my God. So poker is going crazy straight up right now. And it's a pleasure to be a part of it. And I can tell you that, you know, that, that at least on the lower level, there's crazy amounts of players showing up. We're gonna have a tournament, the series, just gonna have 25,000 players in one tournament this year at the World Series of Poker. I think we'll have 10,000 in the main event. And so, yeah, poker's in great shape and it's exploding again. Now, we had this explosion for a long time, you know, on the back of internet poker and on the back of the fact we spent $2 billion a year globally on poker shows promoting the game. That happened with Full Tilt, Party, uh, yeah, I mean, Poker you see, Stars. You see, it used to be the high stakes cash game show that used to play on which was amazing i did want to talk about that some as well i mean that was sort of you know how all you, you phil Locke, antonio negrani these guys playing on there it was where poker really my generation now it's twitch for a lot of part but that's where we grew up seeing you and and kind of idolizing poker and watching these crazy cash game numbers but it's it's true like it's it just it's just it's crazy now the amount of production that goes in the amount of money that's spent on it and, and you can kind of feel it coming twitch youtube all that stuff is great and then what Carrie's doing poker go you know it, this is why poker has its boom it's why in rio these series party poker popping up live stuff and there's there's anywhere you want to go there's tournaments now They're, the field sizes are big you got wsop circuits and there's like you can't if you want to play a tournament any part of the world you can go at any time you could follow all your you could be in action the entire year there's overlapping now you have you actually have to make decisions because there's, yep. there's so many series now it's crazy. JG, there's tournaments 365 days a year. And on most days, there's two or three tournaments right now. It's crazy. And the fields are ginormous. So we had this huge poker going like this, 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 this. Then 2012, it got outlawed and we fell off for a while. And now, you know, I always predicted a sonic boom. And now we're seeing the sonic boom again. Even before the legalization of all of the states, we have another sonic boom. So... It's been fun and it's exciting to watch poker go. Absolutely. <laughs> to watch poker go and to watch poker go. Yes, poker go. Poker yeah. is flowing. That's for sure. Uh, so let's just do rapid fire on some of these. Do you play poker online? 
Uh, I can't because I'm in the U.S. right now, and I'm the one guy that feels like if I start playing online poker and they're going to decide to bust somebody, I feel like they'd come after me. So I want to keep I have to keep my reputation perfect for when someone wants to pay me a fortune to represent their company. There you go. Where, where do you learn? Where did you learn to samba dance? I got that on video. That's in my vlog. How, where did you learn those <laughs> samba moves? Uh, the samba stuff was big. I didn't think there'd be such a global response to me making an entrance down there, but it was huge in Brazil and it was a lot of fun. And I'm not, I'm not sure that I know how to samba dance, but I spent, you know, eight hours watching samba stuff and I never got bored. It was like the Rose Bowl on steroids. That's yeah, that was man, that Brazil stuff. There was a lot of a lot of energy there. That was fun. And you definitely put on a show. Your entrances are second to none. That's for that's for sure. Um, uh, let's see, man. There's if tomorrow poker casinos and everything related gaming was banned all over the world, what would you do? That's an interesting question. What would you be doing if you weren't playing poker at all? Well, now I know my path. I would <laughs> I would definitely be an investor. So investing money in early stage companies, joining advisory boards, helping entrepreneurs connect with my billionaire friends has put me on a lot of advisory boards. Um, it's also been fun to like Deck of Dice is a company I'm involved in. And that one, uh, I brought them to my friend Bill Lee. They pivoted their whole company in one meeting with Bill Lee. And that one I've, I've done more for as far as the CEO calling me, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And now Deck of Dice, of course, you can play Liars Poker on Facebook Messenger. There's a couple hundred thousand people that are playing and it's so much fun. That's our game. That's crazy. That's yeah, man. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of variations of poker too. I think when people start talking about no limit hold'em or yeah, even party poker and some of the other major sites are getting rid of the HUDs, the heads up displays. There was a tweet out about them clearing up the bots online. I mean, it's always going to be a game of cat and mouse, but I think that's kind of there's always whether it's short deck six plus this new fun game people are enjoying you take out the two three fours fives there's five card omaha poker is always going to be around i think it just depends will no limit hold them stick around and even when you hear people are learning gto or is it solved it's a lot different when you're live in the flesh and a lot of people misuse information or it doesn't mean you just get to buy a solver or try to do some work and you become able to beat the game of poker you know that you have to be able to do all the other things as well and apply it in the right situations and and all that so i think yeah poker's thriving the numbers are up i think we're in a really good spot right now in general i think it, it's on trending upwards and it seems to be people are starting to get i feel less of negative connotations it seems like less like i think people are respecting it more and are realizing that it's such a beautiful game and, I, and that's that's refreshing to me because i do used to at times almost be not a shame but kind of like oh i play poker and now i'm kind of like proud of it or just like you know i love it and, and i think with you and myself being able to do some content put the game in a positive light we're really able to shed put the game in the light it deserves and, and try to get more more of these type of podcasts youtube videos twitch streams poker go and and all that it, it's important it's important to show and get that's right jg and you and it brings to mind that one of the reasons why poker is taking off is all of these young Twitchers doing a good job, right? I mean, um, from I mean, uh, you know, the staple Staples, Staples brothers and the, the, the you know this Matt Matt and and the Stapes and and uh, Vanessa Cade and like uh, you know you and like uh, I mean, there's just like so many um, 
Uh, Matt Stapes and Jamie Stapes, right? Staples, the Staple Brothers. Yeah, there's that. Right, I was right the first time. There's yeah, so many and so, content but, creators. It's true. It is. It's like it's there's so much something for everyone now, which is cool. You don't have to pick. And I tune more. onto these streams now, and I'm following more of the younger players. The point is, you guys are doing a great job of building poker up through streams. I got I got to give a shout out. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I, I think you mentioned a lot of great ones. There's so many others. Uh, Matt Jarvis in the chat. Interesting in early stage companies. Casino hour in the house. Let's get you both on the board. Listen, Phil, I got I got Matt Jarvis, Jarfish on the on the books there. He wants us on the board, Phil. That's in writing. We can go and replay it. So maybe we have to get on the board there as well. I see it. <laughs> I see that off. We, we, we are looking. We are looking at casino hour actually right now. So, so why stop matter. at five? Why don't why don't we do every business together? We got we to call offline and, and lock in a couple more. So well, I stopped there. Um, all right, Phil, I'm going to cut down the last couple questions here. Again, we're already, this is, I, I believe this is the longest podcast I've done. I'm, I'm almost, I would bet it. I think we're over two, two hours and change, 210 even. I'm tired, so. JG. Make sure, make sure that, I, you know, I mean, name some of the other people that are doing streaming that I know because yeah, I'm I mean, tired. Like Hotted89, crossover from gaming. You got uh, All in Pav, Matt Staples, Kevin Martin, Lex. Veldhaus, Spraggy, Easy with Aces, Tonka, um, you know, Cordy B. It's endless on Twitch. Andrew Nimi, Brad Owen. There's so many good vloggers now. Andrew and Brad, right? Love those guys, right? Exactly. So there's so many that I missed. And Jason just I'm tired. This this is my second interview. I've been interviewing for... I did an hour interview before this, so I'm a little tired. So I'm sorry if I missed. No worries, Phil. I really do appreciate the time. This is a long uh, podcast. So, and also, I'm even you know like guys like Doug Polk who are really polarizing. You hate him or love him, but I had a guy my first love him. Yeah, you say you love him. I love him. Yeah, listen. The first, I'll say this: the first summer when I did uh, YouTube vlogs, I had my camera there, and I can't make this up. A guy is at the table. He sees me doing the video stuff, and he looks at me. And he's like, man, he's like, uh, you know, I'm waiting for him to say something. Maybe he's seen like my Twitch or something. He goes, do you know Doug Polk? He's like, I love that guy. He said to me, dead ass, he said, this is the reason I'm here. This was like a 1500 WSOP event. I had never, I had just started vlogging. The guy was like, this is why I'm in, this is why I'm in, uh, I'm at the World Series. And I, that's when to me, I realized, man, like, it really matters. These vlogs, this content, people see it on there and it gets them back in the game or it gets them to check it out. And it's powerful. Joey Ingram as well, doing podcasts, content, all yep. this stuff is great for poker. I think that's like another thing. Love I, him too, Joey I felt, Ingram. I felt a lot of, um, you know, at some point, I think there was some some uh, streamers were getting slack or even like Jamie Staples would get a lot of harsh criticism and stuff. People are talking shit. But I think ultimately the top like crushers, the super crusher, high roller players, they started to realize this is what the game, if the game doesn't have this type of, of uh, ecosystem where players are putting themselves out there and growing the game, there is no game. And at the end of the day, you see No Limit GG now. Those guys, Stefan Sontheimer, Fedor Holtz, Rainer Kempe, uh, Neil Farrell, all these guys, they, got, they, have a, they have a channel. They're streaming on Twitch and the Super Crushers, and they're, they're not missing the boat too. Chance Corn has started a channel. Other guys are starting a channel. Michael Loncart. People are getting into it because it's like, if you love poker, why not promote it? Plus, build a business for yourself, get some revenue streams, get some deals, and you know, it, it's fine. Like, it, you know, JG, back in the day, I, it seemed like I was the only one that was building poker. I'm talking about in the 90s. I'm the only one that would fly to do interviews in Vegas with the press, right? And I, Johnny Chan and Eric Seidel, they, they wanted to stay hidden so they could 
get into secret cash games. You know what I mean? And, right. and then Negreanu, but it's a lot of work, man. I, I, I know that this young generation knows how hard Daniel and I have had to work. You know, I mean, and I'm going to I'm going to say Daniel's worked harder than me. But I remember I was working like 360 days out of the year, you know, in 07, 08, 09, 10. And I think Daniel continued to do that and, and was really kind of one of the hardest workers in poker. Yeah. It's really hard. It is. And I, I'll just say this. I want to shout, you know, I know I've met your wife briefly several times. Actually, we I, I was at Burning Man and she came to our camp. I know she's, she goes to Burning Man and, I, and we've chatted several times. And I know how much credit you give to her. And I'll say the same to my wife, Amelia. It is it is difficult being on the road, late hours, crazy. You know, you're, you're in a lot of spots where it's just like you have to have a lot of trust and respect. So that, that's been really yeah. nice to have a a significant other that I, I mean, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I know you've said it and I know that's true for you. It's the same for me. So it's, it is nice to have a great support system and you really have to, if you're marrying a poker player, you know, it's, you gotta, it, it comes with some unknown territory and some learning and some respect along the way. I mean, I know my wife, her family, she's Brazilian, wasn't crazy about it and was kind of like, what the heck, you know? Um, so I don't know for you if that was hard or you from the beginning you were together, but I'm sure, you know, it's family oh, yeah. as well. It's not even just you. It's your parents. It's your relatives. It's their family, their relatives kind of getting coached and understanding. Dude, this was the 1980s when I got into it. Then it was considered like being a drug dealer. Right. You know? yeah, yeah. It's only probably gotten easier and it's still not easy. I can't imagine. Was that was that a difficult conversation? Did you ever have a hard time with any of your family or hers where they were like, oh, my dad, my dad didn't want to even like he'd get mad at me every time I came home for dinner i'd just leave early i'd be like i can't handle this this is what i'm doing for a living and i'd leave and i'd just say all right i'm not going to come back for a week if you're going to do this i'd come back and he'd start again i'd say i'm not coming back for a month and that was kind of my way if you want time with me you're going to respect what i do and so that was a you know and then i'd come back if if you're going to start on me i'm not going to come back for another month and i would stick to those deadlines you're just trying to get respect because my dad didn't understand it and nobody understood it back then. Yeah. And I, and I got to say, I, I will respect you and give you uh, some credit as well on that front, because you know, I find myself and it is different times, but there's only so much time. You have your family, your friends, you're playing a lot. And then there's, you got to study or whatnot. I find myself sometimes finding like, man, it's like, well, am I going to put this video out? Am I going to do this podcast? Am I going to record this footage? Am I going to stream on Twitch or am I going to study? Cause there's only so much time. It's very hard to do the content piece and then also work on your game and have other things. You see some of these guys, the Bonomos and the Ike Hacks and Jason Coons and these guys at the top um, that are, that are really, you know, they're doing a ton of work off the table, but you can only, you kind of have to choose what you're doing and how you're doing it. And it, it, it is hard. So you know, I want to say for you credit for all the stuff you've done and all the stuff you do as well as put time in and obviously keep up with your game. Cause it is not easy and there is only, so much time out there so it's hard it's hard to do it's also fun jg it's also fun for me to to switch directions a little bit too like i mean i'm always going to be after world series of poker bracelets that's always going to be my number one you know life but the positivity i started a whole movement so i'm going to do another book i'm talking about doing one on happiness and success because a lot of people that are successful aren't happy so that's a fun one and i'm talking to eight of the biggest people in the world about doing a book where i talk about their life habits that's and so you know i mean i putting content out like this that can help people in their lives is is great and that's kind of that's a big part of my future but a bigger part of my future is still world series of poker bracelets and poker 
That's absolutely. This is a great question here. And this is, I think, sort of on subject here. Hi, Phil, in your career, have you played with great poker players who are also great personalities? The late Devil Fish, one of my favorites. I don't see that much these days with a lot of the current generations. Is live tournament poker becoming too mechanic? I think this feeds well into, you mentioned Negreanu, some other guys you enjoy playing with and having personalities. But I think that's something we are missing is some characters at the tables and too much of the robotic stuff. You know, you're playing for big money. I get it the high rollers, this and that, some of the glorified um, TV stuff. But how, how would you say about that? Because, you know, the Umberto Brennises and the characters and the celebrating, some of that's good for poker. You know, you're a poker brat. It's almost like you got literally characters in like a movie and, and that you don't see quite as much anymore. So uh, how would you answer that? I mean, you know, I mean, Devilfish had a great reading ability. You know, I mean, he and he got there. I mean, Devilfish was funny. He'd be like, Phil, the only reason I don't have any chips is I finally picked up Kings and I had to put it in. So he would steal, 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 steal. And then he'd he'd finally pick up Kings and get him cracked by ace four. And then he'd steal. steal. He was quite a character. And he, you know, I mean, he had a, three seconds or he'd have three more bracelets in WSOPs. I look at Negreanu. Negreanu has a ton of talent. And I think I think I think he should have even more bracelets except sometimes I think he insists on following whatever the latest theories are and it takes him out of his strength, you know, which is reading people. Um, but I think he could easily have two or three more bracelets. I do, I, I do, I do miss some of the characters. Um, and I don't know. It's hard for me to explain why these characters, while we had characters then and we don't now, but I do think that a powerful personality helped you at poker whereas now when you're sitting behind a computer screen you don't need that powerful personality to make a bunch of money and then you end up showing up in the real world unless you're twitch twitch in front of the computer you, you get to there is definitely yes yes so you, you, you need a powerful personality to twitch absolutely um Man, all right, Phil, I keep saying we're going to cut it, and then I've seen great things, so I'm going to, I really do have to wind down for your sake. I could keep going. My wife is very understanding. She, you've met my one wife. One more question, one more question. All right. Uh, okay, how many bracelets can you win? What's your, 24. What's the, what, do you, what do you see when you're all said and done? What's the number in mind that would you say, man, I really did it? Well, 24 to 30, I have to answer. Um, I've always, from 1990, from the time I won three in 1993, I had a, a vision. Now, what does a vision mean? I mean, people are like, oh, Phil's so weird. Well, a vision might just mean something that adds up in your mind. I'm going to play for this many years. I'm going to win this many. But I always thought I'm going to win 24 bracelets. And then I heard Phil Ivey say he's going to win 30. And I thought, why not shoot higher? So I might as well go for 30 as well. But it, I feel like I'm going to get to 24. So I'm going to say 24 minimum. And, you know, hopefully more than that. All right. And we did say last question. I want rapid fire. What's your favorite, favorite food? Could be avocado. <laughs> it's a good food. Do you regret any of the antics on TV? Yes or no? <laughs> pause. <laughs> Into a pause. All right. Next question. No, no, I don't. It makes me look ridiculous, but I think it's great for the game. And in the end, it's great for me to be my natural, normal self. Okay. Is there any poker players you admire? Can you rapid fire a few? Don't have to give reasons. Kerry Katz, for sure. Um, let me just think. I, I, I kind of, I don't know. I, I like Antonio and Daniel a lot. Uh, I mean, they, they do, they, they're doing a lot of good stuff okay. uh, in and outside of poker. That's, that's enough. What was the most re reliable tell you've ever spotted? Oh, I had a guy. Oh, this was, I want a bracelet because of this tell. Okay. This guy would always, when it was my turn to act, 
he would push his chips forward, you know, as if saying, I'm going to call you. And then, uh, and then I knew for sure he wouldn't. So I want to brace it because of him. He sat on my left and every time I was getting ready to, so one time, he, one time he bet, and I remember having six, eight and the board was ace, nine, 10. And I'm like, all right, I'm, you know, I, I know I have an easy fold here, but let me think about, so I grabbed my chips like this and he went like this out of turn and I said, he's not calling. So I just moved in and then he folded, studied a minute and folded. So every time he wasn't going to call and I'd look at him and get ready with my chips, he'd go like this. And so it was just, it was just, he just told me it was so beautiful. And I want to brace it. I'm pretty sure because of that, that one tell. All right. And the real last question, because it ties into positivity. What are Phil's poker goals in 2019? I'm cutting the podcast after this question. Last one, poker goals, 2019, Phil. I always, I always make my goals. I always think big and think bigger than might actually be able to accomplish. But I, but then again, I've accomplished it. So I want to win three world series of poker bracelets and two WPTs. Now in 2012, in 2011, I did have three seconds at the World Series of Poker with these ginormous fields. So it can be done. That gave me fuel for 2012 where I ended up winning two bracelets. So it can be done. So yeah, I mean, three World Series of Poker bracelets and two World Poker Tour bracelets. That's the top of my goals 2019 sheet. All right, there it is with the one and only Phil Helmuth. We are giving away two 109 tickets to Party Poker Power Fest. I am going to tweet those out. And we're, Phil Helmuth, tell me, I'm going to copy paste it. Tell me, just tell me when. You, you get to say the word when. Oh, bam. Positivity. Look at that. Think big. I got it. My sign copy folks. right here. I got a Think sign right big. here. Tell me, tell me when to pick. Tell me when, Phil. When for what? We're for the 109. We're giving away two 109 tickets, man. This is real cold hard cash giveaway. Courtesy All right, I'm going to say it. You ready? Yep. Now. Boom. Sharon. We got a female Sharon winning a 109 ticket. All right. That's one. And actually, she doesn't. She's Four. Not, she's three, not. Three, two, one. Now. All right. Boom. There's another one. Kevin Mathers. Wow. Kev Math. Just binked a 109 ticket right there. You got to respect. Hi, Kevmath. Holy shit. Uh, oh, we actually. Kevmath is great for poker. That's a supporter right what, there. What a legend. We actually have one more because the one chick didn't follow the very simple instructions. So, Sharon, I'm lucky. Sorry to say. Uh, we're going to roll one more. Tell me when. Last one, Phil, and then we're going to cut the podcast. Three, two, one. Now. Boom. We got JF, just two initials, and he does follow instructions. He does have a 109 ticket. I'm going to message him and Phil. Literally, man, thank you so much. You are such a sport. I appreciate you for coming on here. We'll do it again, and I'll see you soon. And who knows, by the next podcast, maybe we'll be in 10 businesses together. We'll double it up. I'll see you soon, man. <laughs> you gave me some of that deal, flow. Travel smarter and lassoer through you. My man, right Thanks, there. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.